the recording should now be going. Uh, it might help if I actually put us on the Ophion screen, though. There we go. All Does right. Move to resume our Pathfinder discussion now. <laughs> no, no more Pathfinder discussion. Um, so yeah, uh, welcome back, guys. Uh, uh, Pathfinder class starship. No, bad, bad. Uh, welcome back, guys, to, I believe this is our 16th Ophion episode. Uh, look at me, I'm on top of what numbers are. Um, I only really have kind of a, a fun-slash-flavor announcement. Um, as some of you on uh, Twitch, if you're watching this live or if you're catching this uh, on YouTube later, um, I've kind of opened up a, uh, a channel Discord server. Uh, honestly, I don't really expect too much out of it, but hey, you never know. Maybe, you know, 30 fans will jump in the Discord channel and it'll be a good time. Um, if you want to find the link, uh, it should be right below uh, in the FAQ section of my uh, Twitch channel. And uh, yeah, anyone's free to join. Uh, other than that, uh, I don't think we have any announcements unless anyone has any of their own. So, yeah, let's have Panek. I believe you have our log for today. Yep. First officer's log, stardate 55115.2. For the time being, the Ophion is docked with deep space dataless as we transfer personnel and repair the damage we obtained from the rogue Talshiar faction. Starfleet Intelligence has been reticent about what, happened, what has happened to the captured Trilithium warhead and the agents. They have, however, reached out to notify the captain and me that a recording of our battle at the Cora system was captured via a nearby listening post. I have forwarded this recording to Captain Skull and Lieutenant Shatsu for tactical breakdown and analysis. I look forward to moving past this crisis and returning to our mission of exploration. Our newest additions to the senior staff will undoubtedly be helpful in this endeavor. We have recently uh, received official transfer documents for Lieutenant Commander John Maddock and Senior Chief Arya Hylong. Chief Hylong will fit in very well with stellar cartography as we will be, we'll be back to unraveling the mysteries of the Sabine Expanse. As for Lieutenant Commander Maddock, he has been given the position of Engineering Advisor. I've assigned him to initial work on the further integration of his Chronoton Sensor Array, as well as an overhaul of the Ophion's temperamental EPS conduits. Given his penchant for prototyping new designs, however, I expect him to work closely with Lieutenant Locke. I suspect that we won't be free from Talshiar influence just because we we've returned to unexplored space. Romulans are prideful, and their recent defeats at our hands will have, will have left them with a bitter taste in their mouths. Attaché Zareed believes that the recent change in Romulan leadership will lead to unprecedented cooperation between the Federation and the Empire. My intuition tells me that such change does not come easily to the Romulans, and it does not last long. And log. Okay. Very good. So, uh, as you may have gathered from both his log and the fact that we're showing up at uh, DSD, uh, you guys are, in fact, at DSD at the moment. Um, you're not really, uh, quote-unquote, attached to the station. You're just kind of in orbit. Um, you know, there's some last minute personnel changes. There's some last minute kind of, uh, supply, uh, runs, things of that nature. But, uh, we start the session proper with Commander Beckett. Uh, you are in sickbay, uh, giving a routine physical to one of the, uh, many crewmen that are aboard the Ophion. 
And that's when you get a message from your lovely nurse. So uh, Vara just kind of taps her comm badge and says, uh, Vara to Commander Beckett. Go ahead, Vara. Uh, could you get a med kit and join us in the uh, the duck? There's there's something that requires your attention. But you can't handle whatever it is. No, I. We really need your help up here. And she sounds almost a little bit worried. Okay, I will be there as soon as I can get there. Okay. Um, I'll excuse myself from the crewman, um, tell him to uh, come back at the same time tomorrow, and uh, and we'll finish up his uh, required um, physical. Okay. So the crewman, of course, nods his head and promises he'll be back later, which frees you up to run up to the dock. Uh, so where is the duck? There is the duck. So, uh, Beckett, when you finally arrive at the duck and the door opens, you see there's a lot of people in here, and most of them are in dress uniform, including, uh, Captain Skull. And this is Skull's scene, so I'm gonna let him run it. Ah. Welcome, Commander Beckett. You're late to your own party? A little underdressed, but we can work with it. I I didn't realize that there was going to be a party. Uh, or is this an intervention? Oh, this is absolutely a celebration, Commander. Uh, attention on deck. Everyone snaps to attention. Uh, Commander Michael Beckett, please step forward. Commander Michael Beckett, for showing outstanding courage and tactical acumen in the face of extreme odds against the rogue Tal Shiar, for displaying command qualities that exceed your rank and position, and for acting with honor, integrity, and humility for this previous mission and the several missions that have preceded it. It is my honor to award you with the Star Cross. It is, uh, it is our continued pleasure to have you among our crew. And I will pull out a small metal box and pin a shiny golden star to your chest uh with a rather large smile he'll extend his hand uh thank you sir now as this is your party from everyone Mm -hmm. of course now this is your party if you wish to make a small speech or if you wish to get right to the drinks you're more than welcome to do so well i uh kind of at a loss for words which is rare but um uh thank you for this and thank you to the crew of gamma shift for uh accepting me and um yeah let's drink (laughs) so uh kind of to punctuate the gamma remark uh lieutenant commander ty is here and she kind of raises her glass and goes here here i'll raise it yeah and everyone else follows suit and there's there's a round of clinking um, so a small sidebar here, uh, in case anyone, uh, is confused. So recently, uh, literally Thursday, uh, Modifius released the command source book. And in the source book, there are, uh, awards, uh, and these awards confer a mechanical benefit at the cost of reputation. Uh, the star cross, for example, uh, allows Beckett now to, for one task during an adventure, 
uh, he can double his focus range. So say, for example, he's doing uh, a, a medicine-related check and it applies one of his focuses, uh, he would have a crit range of 1 to 10 instead of 1 to 5. Uh, it's, it's a really good award. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty freaking nice. I haven't even looked at the the uh, brand new command supplement from Modifius. Um, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it's on page 98 when you get a chance to look at it. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm assuming, uh, of course, that this party is very, uh, maybe rambunctious isn't quite the word I want to use, but it is, uh, it is definitely a nice party. Um, I would normally have people roll constitution checks to see who gets drunk onto the table, but, uh, I think given the nature of, uh, the revelry, I can say words today, um, the hard liquor doesn't come out unless someone really wants it. So it's all synthahail or synthahol. Possibly some champagne. Yeah, some champagne as well. Yeah. Um, now that the official speech has gone off or finished, I'll just wander up to the doctor a couple drinks in and go, I have, I have met some very dangerous doctors in my time. You are probably by far the worst of them, but I'm pleased to call you my friend and that you're on my crew. Uh, I'll um, tip my drink um, in motioning like for him to do the same and clink glasses. Uh, I will... I'll accept that. Um, I uh, the the lack of doctors on ships is what pulled me away from sitting at a base somewhere or sitting on a hospital ship. So um, I'm glad that the decision to leave behind a very safe hospital and come work on this ship wasn't a bad decision. Ab- absolutely, I really hope that we will continue to enjoy the fruits of that bad decision for many years to come <laughs> as do I um, and uh, who, uh, who who do I need to blame for uh, putting my nurse up to um, not being completely truthful to me well Mr. Panek and I kind of gave her the next shift next couple shifts off Ah, kind of pulled rank. Gotcha. So it it was an order for her to not tell the whole truth to her senior officer. Yes, call this, and I'll, I'll kind of wink. You yes, was due let's... for a change in duty rotation anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Oh, oh dear. All right, Uh, so unless anyone else wants to do a little bit of small talk, uh, we will skip ahead a little bit because I honestly don't know uh, if we're going to be able to get everything in in this session, but we'll see. Um, So sometime after the party in the duck, uh, with you all kind of, you know, going about the rest of your day, the rest of your shift, etc., Captain Skull, you get a message from uh, Admiral Thesso. Uh, he would like to meet you uh, in his office on the station uh, if you have a moment. How far, or how long after the party is this? 
Uh, I would say this has at least been a couple of hours. So even if you were like uh, stone dead drunk, uh, you would have probably recovered by now, either on your own or thanks to the doctor. Yeah, or the trill. Or the trill, yeah. Can't forget the symbiote. Symbiote, I'm drinking for two. <laughs> um, yep, I'll I'll uh, head out and leave uh, the ship in Panek's capable hands. Okay, I got him. Alright, so we go to uh, Thesso's ready room. Uh, so, uh, as you uh, step into Thesso's ready uh, office, he kind of nods and motions for you to take a seat. Absolutely, I'll enter, stand at attention, and then take the seat. Huh. Thank you for coming, uh, Mr. Skull. I, uh, I've been reviewing the Ophion's projected flight plan that uh, your pilot has submitted. Uh, I, uh, I just have one question, and uh, he kind of taps the little computer to his right on the desk, and uh, on the screen behind him, uh, you see the uh, star map complete with the projected path on it. And it zooms in on uh, the red symbol, like the closest symbol you guys were planning on going to. All right. And uh, he says, I thought you might find this interesting. Uh, the Z74J system, which would be where this symbol seems to indicate, uh, we've picked up a massive amount of tachyons in the system. Now, granted, these are long-range scans, but, well, to put it bluntly, uh, we're a little bit worried that this could be indicative of a Romulan fleet buildup or, well, given your track record, I, I don't think I really need to go into too much detail about what this could be. Um, other than a potential uh, Romulan source, any other interesting stellar cartography or stellar phenomenon in the area that could potentially be a source? Uh, honestly, uh, not that we've been able to detect. Uh, you would be the first Starfleet vessel to head out that way. Uh, of course, we tried reaching out to the Cardassians since they were the closest empire of sorts. Uh, but, you know, given the whole Dominion War and the sacking of Cardassia... Even now, the records are still just kind of either lost or burned or, you know, there just isn't a whole lot of help out of Cardassia at the moment. Uh, very well. And what uh, what's the current status of the other ships in the area? Out of character, I've kind of forgotten their names, but... Uh, you mean... I have to look it up, too. Um, you mean the Aegis and the Connecticut... Correct, yes. Uh, well, uh, Thesso kind of uh, smiles and says, well, the Connecticut uh, has found a, another nebula, which kind of matches the ones we seem to keep finding in this expanse. Uh, they're currently doing a very thorough scan of the area. Uh, the Aegis uh, hasn't really found a whole lot yet. They came across a wandering black hole, which I have you know, according to their uh, report, was quite a harrowing experience, but, uh, you know, they weathered it nicely. I am pleased that they are continuing to explore the expanse in our absence, and look forward to getting out there and seeing what can be found. Indeed. As we near the um, purple icon way up 
close to Breen space. Do we have? Any, has Starfleet intelligence gotten any more intel on what the Breen have been up to post-war? Uh, that's a good question. Both out of character and character. Um, honestly, Captain, uh, the intel we have out of the Breen Confederacy... They are a confederacy, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we, we are hegemony, either or. Yeah, either or. Um, we haven't had a whole lot of contact with them. Uh, they are, to kind of phrase it in another way, they are sort of like the Tholians. We're not actively in conflict with them, but we're also not actively trying to associate or really interact with them. So, honestly, uh, it's a big question mark at the moment. Very well. Something for us to keep in mind as we get closer to their space. Indeed. Well, that's all I had, Captain, unless you had anything of your own. Uh, no, sir. Um, I'll just submit the updated officer records. That includes uh, Beckett's recently given medal. Oh. And snap a quick attention and head back to the ship. Okay. So, uh, again, uh, to kind of speed things along a little bit, um, unless anyone had any pressing RP they wanted to do. Um, in which case, you know, just interrupt me. Um, so it probably takes you all about 30 minutes to get everyone back onto the Ophion and for you to, uh, more or less set course and jump to warp towards the, uh, Z74J system. And the travel time I had calculated out is it's going to be about a week. Um, and I did have one particular scene that was requested, um, so we'll do that first, but uh, of course, as you guys have come to know, if you have anything you want to do during the travel time, uh, you are, of course, welcome to it. But first, uh, as it just so happens, we have another Beckett scene. Uh, so, Mr. Beckett, uh, you're once again in sickbay. Uh, it's this, literally the same ensign uh, that's uh, getting his physical. And I think it's probably worth noting that you're at the end or near the end of your shift when Panek uh, does send a communicate to you. And since this is Panek's scene, I will let him flavor it as he wishes. Uh, Panek to Commander Beckett. I will sigh very heavily to the ensign in front of me. <sighs> then hit my comm badge. Go ahead, XO. Uh, report to Holodeck 1 immediately. Is this for another party? I'm kind of in the middle of something. Uh, your presence is requested immediately, Commander. I'll look at the Ensign. Shrug. And tell him that if uh, the XO gives him any crap about not having his physical, to remind the XO that it was his fault that the physical isn't done, and then ask the Ensign to come back uh, the next day at the same time. Okay. The uh, the Ensign tries not to crack a smile, but fails horribly and says, of course, sir. Um, and then uh, I guess I will head to the holodeck. Um, okay. On the way... I will ask the computer what program is currently running in that holodeck. Okay. Uh, Panek, it's your program. What would the computer say? Uh, currently running the Battle of Naseby. <sighs> okay. I will head that way, I guess. Okay. 
so you, of course, uh, in due time, come across the uh, doors of the holodeck. Uh, do you just walk right in? Uh, do you do anything with the little interface on the wall before you head in? What's the call? Um, yeah, I want to uh, use the... Uh, I'll use the panel on the wall to find out um, uh, what, what side... Um, Panek is currently trying to portray? Uh, the new model army. I'm currently playing Oliver Cromwell. Wonderful. Okay, uh, I will walk in. Okay. So, uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to find a nice map for this. We're gonna have to use Theater of the Mind. But, uh, you walk in, and of course you are treated to the scene of a battle. And almost immediately as you step in and the door closes and the arch kind of disappears, a black knight comes rushing at you with his he- his sword overhead. Uh, he is about to cleave you in two. With the calm and demeanor of someone who has performed multiple open heart surgeries, I will stand there and let him swing at me. Okay. Uh, Panek, is this where you want to intervene, or not yet? Yeah, I'll intervene. And I'll All right. come in and, and kind of deflect his, his attack. All right. So, uh, Panek, uh, comes out of almost seemingly nowhere and deflects the Black Knight's blow. And, uh, Panek, why don't you go ahead and describe a little bit, uh, about what you're wearing? <laughs> I'm wearing a steel-plated armor with a, a two-handed bastard sword or something, something like that. I haven't really looked anything up. But, uh, yeah, he's fully decked out. But uh, something tells you, maybe, that it's not holographically projected on him, that he spent the time to replicate them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. So you went from Vulcan Ninja to British Knight? Ninja Commander? Hmm. Never mind. So what what is the point of uh, bringing me to the middle of the English Civil War in 1645? Uh, I read somewhere uh, that uh, humans tend to bond over such activities like this. Uh, did, was the setting I chose inappropriate? I thought the simulation would appeal to the barbaric nature of humanity. <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, it's, um, I, I, I guess I still kind of lost as to why you chose here for a bonding exercise between, uh, you and me. Uh, I was unable to decide based on your record, uh, a more apropos setting. So I had the computer choose one, uh, from the, uh, popular choice list. Ah, so you think I'm British? Uh, quite honestly, uh, Commander, I, I'm unable to tell. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess eventually, somewhere, um, my my background and my history would probably come from somewhere in Europe. Um, probably a little bit more east than England. But, uh... No, actually, I don't really hold anywhere on Earth as 
home other than it's humanity's home. Then you should have no different uh, deference about this setting. And while this is going on, we haven't paused it, so I'm still deflecting people and, but very calmly with a with a, with a calm voice talking to him. Right. I mean, it's actually kind of a interesting from even a medical point of view that uh, Panek's not really even sweating. Like, he's having a he's you know he's fending off opponents and uh, he's doing it with style. Um, I am looking very not. Um impressed and at this point have put have folded my arms across my chest and am just watching him play act as uh, a 1700s British human Mm -hmm. and just watching him go Uh, trying not to smile I've left the uh, position of Sir Thomas Fairfax open and available to you uh but if this if this setting does not appeal to you, you could choose another. No, uh, I, I, I guess this is fine. You you do know that I'm, I'm I'm a physician, not not a soldier, right? Uh, that didn't and I stop will you. I will I will mock Vulcans by raising one eyebrow. <laughs> uh. uh. That they ha- that didn't that that pacifistic ideology did not uh, stop you from attacking the Romulans when we were engaged with them. True. And these are but just hard hard light simulations. This is true. I I fight when I need to, not not against holograms. As much as everybody thinks that I hate holograms, because I hate. Emergency medical holograms does not mean that I hate all holograms. Unless it's a Klingon that decides to sing opera in my quarters. And then uh, I will blink, looking at him, and raise my eyebrow again. Uh, Pinnick just, you know, nonchalantly doesn't look at him. He looks at someone else, please. <laughs> uh, very well, Commander. Uh, I apologize for bringing you down here. Then I, I was merely attempting to engage... Uh, in an after uh, an extracurricular activity in an attempt to uh, bring the, the crew closer together and to get a better idea of uh, my fellow crewmates uh, computer and program and then it's just like me standing there in armor just kind of awkwardly out of place <laughs> um, I, I applaud you for uh, your intention um, I I don't, I mean, you have access to the records. I don't come to the hollow, hollow deck, like, almost at all. Um, or if I do, it's a nice park and I go for a jog. Um, now, if you'd like to go for jogs after hours and have a little physical exercise without... And I just kind of motion to him dressed in... 1700s English armor. Mm-hmm. I'll look down at it. Uh, uh, yes, a, a change of wardrobe would probably be best. Well, tell you what. Um, why don't we meet tomorrow after uh, Alpha Shift is over and we can go for a run. And please don't call me at this time tomorrow because, um, yeah, 
uh, Incent Rogers has been trying to get his uh, physical that you are quite fond of reminding him that he hasn't had done, and I keep getting interrupted. I will make note of that, Commander. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, why don't we meet back here tomorrow about the same time? We'll do. All right. Yay, running buddies! All right. Uh, so, of course, that all happens uh, during your trip out there. Uh, Basic any... social interaction succeeded. Yay! Um, so, does anyone else have a scene they want to have take place during your travel time? I don't have a scene, but okay. I, I would like to to make a, a roll on my extended task of putting a type one phaser into a medical tricorder. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead and do that. And uh, I forget, what did I have you roll for that? Was that uh, control plus science or control plus engineering? Control plus engineering makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what you need. Uh, go ahead and roll me your work track. Yeah, it's like four plus nine engineering. Uh, two plus your engineering. I knew it was an even number. I'm going to say with freaking seven, uh, you actually finished the project uh, by the time you arrive at uh, Z74J. Fun thing in the arsenal. Then I move on to my, my next whatever project. Which actually... Um, oh, sorry, someone was saying something. Sorry, I was just going to quip that not with a roll like that, not only has he put a phaser in a tricorder, he can put a tricorder in a phaser. Ah. Um, actually, uh, I, this reminds me, so kind of in a, in a small segue. So, Captain, uh, you're in your ready room. You're just kind of reviewing logs, going over reports, etc., etc. When... A torpedo casing just beams into the room in front of your desk. Is it a familiar torpedo casing? Yeah, it's one from the Ophion. Is it beeping or emitting any sort of energy signal whatsoever? Uh, no, it's just kind of sitting there. Um, computer? Of course, where computer did this... beeps. Uh, where did this torpedo casing come from? Uh, it reports uh, Launch Bay 1. Uh, captain to Merthrin. Merthrin here, Captain. Go ahead. What's going on in Launch Bay 1? Do and I know what's going on in Launch Bay 1? Uh, no, you have no idea. Then I can find out for you, Captain. I'm in main engineering at the moment. Very well, then I would like you and uh, Miss Shatsu to please report to my ready room immediately. There is a torpedo that's just materialized in here. There's a slight pause. We'll be right up, Captain. Yes, please. Uh, Lieutenant Shatsu? Uh, so Shatsu's on the bridge, and uh, she immediately just kind of steps in, looks at the torpedo, and goes, Uh, that's a new one. I'm beginning to fortify my... I'm beginning to flip my desk over so that I can hide behind it in case this thing goes off. I mean, it's not going to help, but it's making <laughs> me feel better. Yeah, and however long it takes for me to grab my tools and get from main engineering up to the ready room later, uh, 
Mirthrin sort of slides in through the doors. Yeah, you you probably show up within five or ten minutes. And yeah, the torpedo's just sitting there. Okay, that is alarming. And You're telling gets, me. And he gets out his tricorder and starts scanning it to like to see if it's armed and just seeing if it's safe to crack it open and disarm it. Okay. Uh, roll me a uh, a control plus science. Uh, difficulty zero. So free momentum. Yep, I get the one success. Yeah, so all right, you guys have one momentum. Uh, so, uh, as it turns out, uh, this torpedo has had its, uh, payload removed. Uh, it is simply just a torpedo casing. Okay, uh, good news, Captain. This thing does not have an active warhead in it. It's just the casing. Why do I have a feeling that someone's trying to make a point? I don't know. I mean, did you figure out where it came from? Uh, loading bay one. Computer. Uh, Mirthrin to loading bay one. So, uh... Lieutenant uh, Locke here. Yep. Is this an important, Commander? Uh, I'm in the middle of an experiment, and I may have lost something. Might that... Sorry, this is the captain here, uh, Mr. Locke. Might that something be a torpedo casing? Uh, yes, how did you know? Oh, crass. About two meters. Yeah, yes, of... you may have just given the captain a mild panic attack. So, sorry, I, I, I'm testing out a, a folded space transporter um, that moves things through subspace, and it was supposed to move it two meters. Um, it didn't. I, I would think 200 is about the distance between here and loading bay one, Lieutenant. As I fumble through my now overturned desk looking for a hypo spray, and I just jam it into the side of my neck, and I noticeably calm down a bit. It, it well, it, it shouldn't be armed. Um, no, no, uh, it's not. It might be slightly radioactive. I, uh, this was why the yep, concept immediately scans it for radiation. That's eh, fine, acceptable levels. Yeah, not nothing serious, Captain. Very well. Mr. Locke, I'm just going to go to the bridge. I'm going to come back into my ready room in about 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, if I'm feeling generous. And that torpedo casing had better be out. I don't care how. Hi, sir. I'm just going to look at Mirthrin and Shatsu and say, thank you kindly for your timely arrival. If this had been an actual torpedo, we might have been killed. Shatsu just kind of laughs a little bit and then realizes how serious Skull's being. Oh, sorry, sir. Uh, I just was kind of musing to myself that if someone had managed to sneak up on us at high warp and beam something aboard, we, uh, we'd have bigger problems. Seemingly. Let's table that, and we'll see what Locke... Hopefully, whatever Locke can do will have actual benefits instead of just misplating, misplacing torpedoes. Yeah, honestly, sir, from a tactical perspective, uh, beaming torpedoes directly into another ship, uh, it's not a bad tactical strategy. Helps you uh, hit the system you're hoping for. Not agreed. Very agreed. Now, I'm just going to get my pulse rate down a bit, and then I will join you both on the bridge short in a minute or two. 
Understood, sir. Um, can I can I interject in this scene? Uh, of course. Uh, uh, Beckett will uh, communicate into the captain. Uh, sick pay to uh, to Captain Skull. Skull here, go ahead. Um, is should should I be worried? Um, I just had three different alarms go off about your heart rate. Uh, is everything okay? Just be thankful that the alarm that that would indicate a flat line did not go off. You have luck to thank for my... And to think about... When we started this journey out to our new... Out to the system, I was about to tell you that we might... I might be ready to discontinue the use of my medication. I may not be ready to discontinue the use of my medication just yet. Uh, will do, Captain. I will send a, uh, uh, another batch up to you, and, um, I will take something to drink down to lock. That was pretty good. And then I'll end the communication. <sighs> I swear, they're, they're either, I don't know what's going to kill me, uh, Merthrin, if it's going to be the crew's competence or the crew's experimentation. Or it could just be the Romulans. Honestly, the Romulans would probably be the least stressful option. At least we can at least accept that if you die for the Romulans, you're at least dying for some reason. And, and might not as be Captain Skull leaves Mirthor and sort of turns to Shatsu and goes, so I'm perfectly happy to just leave Locke to lug this thing back down to engineering on his own. Yes, this is his problem. <laughs> yep, and we turn and leave the room. Yep, uh, I'm glad we got that one in. Locke Locke floated the idea to me, and I found it hilarious. So, um, so yeah. Uh, anyone else have any actual scenes they want to play out before we uh, we get to the full adventure? Going once, going twice. Okay. Then we shall Hold shift... the red shirt and the plastic trilby. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to shift to the bridge. And uh, I think everyone's there? Yeah, so everyone, uh, it's, you know, it's alpha shift again. And uh, let me let me adjust the, the stream a little bit here. Um, it's always alpha shift. It's, we're the best. Of course, you know, it's, it's like turbo lifts. You're always at the appropriate shift for events. Um, so as... Uh, as you approach the Z74J system, you're you're a few light years out. Uh, Locke, uh, you at uh, sensors are picking up a strange starship traveling at low warp. Uh, it matches no known configuration and doesn't seem to be using traditional propulsion methods. Captain, I'm detecting an unfamiliar um, spaceship silhouette. Doesn't conform to any... I'm known species, and I don't know what's making it go. Are they traveling faster than light? I assume that was implied. Mm -hmm. Very well. Um, How far out from the system are we? Uh, Out of character, if I have my numbers properly, you are three light years out. Okay. We're still a couple, um, several minutes away from the system, sir. Very well. 
Uh, no. Drop us... Yes. Shall I attempt to hail them, Captain? Absolutely. Uh, drop us out of warp a safe distance away. We don't want to drop in aggressively close. And then once we establish visual... Once we establish range, uh, open hailing frequencies. Alright. So, of course, uh, Sona brings the Ophion to a stop. And uh, as uh, it just so happens, the ship that uh, you found on sensors uh, also drops at a warp uh, fairly close by. And what you see on the view screen is something like this. Yay, handouts. So, uh, kind of just to, uh, to kind of describe what you're seeing, um, that these are, or this is a massive uh, solar sail kind of configuration. Um, you know, as you can tell, it's got the kind of circular sail that picks up energy uh, of all types, usually uh, solar wind, eddies, things of that nature, and uh, a much smaller kind of, uh, I guess you would call it uh, pod or uh, something that's, you know, the actual crew sits in. Well, and we are heading to one of the red marks. Um, this could actually, the red mark could actually indicate that some sort of burgeoning life. This could be indigenous to the species, uh, indigenous species to the planet we're approaching. Very well. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead, Cam. No, I, I was just going to order open hailing frequencies, but if you have something to interject, Commander, please do. Uh, well, I assume you've updated your senior staff on the uh, briefing guy from Admiral Thessa. Correct. For the uh, increased tachyons? Mm-hmm. Put that lock to maybe scan for them. Sure. Uh, lock, if you want to give me a, a reason plus science, and, uh, of course, the ship will assist with sensors plus science, and, uh, yeah, this is just a difficulty zero. Free momentum. All right, so that's already one momentum for you. Uh, who's rolling for the ship? I will. Okay. Okay, so just the one momentum. Uh, so, Locke, uh, you're able to tell that there's about five life signs uh, in this ship. And you're also able to determine that there seems to be some sort of, like, tachyon generator that's aimed at the sails. Um, yeah, I'll give this to you for free without a question. Uh, so this would remind you uh, of a certain voyage by one Benjamin Sisko in 2371, uh, the one where Sisko made the journey from uh, DS9 all the way to Cardassia in a solar sailor. Um, obviously, you're, you're looking at a more advanced version of that, uh, because it's able to go up to what you're guessing is a maximum of warp three, so big deal as far as solar sail technology is concerned. So, Captain, looks like it is having some sort of tachyon generator, so it is self-propelling itself even without the solar winds um, that power other kind of solar sail vessels. Fascinating. So they basically invented a jar of wind and pointed it at a sail. Effectively, yes. That's somewhere somewhere behind him. Mirthran's eye twitches. <laughs> That's actually quite ingenious. Well, open hailing frequencies. Let's see if they're willing to talk. Okay. 
So in fact, they do. Uh, so before you on the view screen uh, is an individual that meets the stereotype of a wise sage. They have an impressive white beard, uh, striking lines about the face, and eyes that look as if they've seen many a thing. They almost look human, but that's when you notice the crew behind them. So much like a centaur out of myth and legend, these aliens seem to possess a non-humanoid lower half. Uh, more specifically, uh, that of a scorpion scaled up several times. Uh, their carapaces are all different sorts of colors, and most of their stingers are either wrapped or in a sheath of sorts. And uh, I am an equal opportunity uh, consumer of the art, so I actually had uh, two friends of mine uh, do a little bit of art. So first I'll show you uh, Green's kind of take of the uh, species. So this is how Green kind of conceptualized them. Uh, as you can see, it's, you know, pretty much as I described, kind of a humanoid upper half, uh, scorpion lower. And then uh, you have uh, Monoruses. Uh, his is a little bit more uh, detailed. And uh, that's what uh, he came up with. Now, of course, you are free to, you know, flavor them as much as you want. Uh, you know, take liberties with their design, etc. But I thought a little bit of art might go a long way to kind of communicate how different they are. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'm liking the one with the inverted eye colors and the almost go old jewelry design. Yeah. Uh, I would say that most of the... Uh, there's two females that are on uh, this ship. Uh, well, at least that you see on screen uh, behind who you assume is the captain. Um, and they, uh, they all seem to have the black sclera, which is interesting from a medical point of view, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, just as I stand up to do standard greetings, I'm just going to do a quick tappity-tappity on the, on the con console at my, uh, screen, on my seat. Mm -hmm. Just to send an alert down to Beckett's office saying, hey, you're going to want to look at this. Mm -hmm. um, then I'm going to stand up and go, greetings. I am Captain Barton Skull, representing the United Federation of Planets on the USS Ophion. So the, uh, the gentleman smiles at you and says, uh, this is Hoplite Phaon. Uh, it is... Good to meet you, uh, Captain Skull of the USS Ophion. Uh, I believe this is the first recorded instance of our two cultures interacting. Agreed. Um, we, th we, this is our, we have recently begun exploring the sector of space, and we're very intrigued by the uh, energy emissions that we detected in your system. We were curious as to their origins and seem to have found that you have developed a completely different and novel uh, means of space travel than we have uh, considered. Ah, you must mean our solar sail technology. Uh, well, yes, uh, I'd be happy to go into details about that. Uh, I obviously, I, I don't know what your objective might be in the greater scope of things, but uh, we Scorpi. Uh, S-K-O-R-P-I. Uh, we Scorpi are on a mission of exploration. And uh, there are, at any given time, hundreds of hoplites like, uh, like myself that are exploring the stars. In the background, Mirthrin is looking very resolutely at his console and trying not to smirk. 
<clears throat> I'm assuming there's a reason, which we'll get to eventually. Ah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Farron, I, I believe that our goals are in alignment on this, as Starfleet is first priority is to seek out uh, new life, new civilizations, and to explore where no one has been before. Um, perhaps uh, we could invite you and your crew aboard for a... Uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? For a uh, cultural exchange. Or if we are close to your planet, perhaps meeting you and your uh, chain of command or your local government is more in your preference. Oh. Uh, he thinks about it for a moment and says, well, the trip back to Sko would take about nine days at our, our maximum velocity, so yes, uh, let's let's do this culture exchange that you speak of. Uh, where should we dock with you? Um, now, I'm just going to quickly look at Locke and Mirthrin and go, um, yeah, Mirthrin's going to pipe up and go, uh, point of order, our doors have a maximum width of rattles off the width of a Star Trek door. Mm -hmm. um, the, the screen's not really giving us a sense of scale. Is that gonna... Are you gonna be able to fit through those? Uh, Feyan just kind of laughs and says, it'll be a little bit of a tight squeeze, but I think we can manage. Can they, can they retract the sails? Uh, yes, we can. If well, you can retract your sails, we can bring you into our cargo bay much easier. Um, yeah, I was going to say, so I have a scale of uh, three written down for them. Um, obviously, that's with the solar sail deployed. So, I mean, conceivably... Where's their docking port? Yeah, I was going to say, so conceivably you could get them in your bay, but it would take up pretty much the entire thing. I'm, I'm assuming the Prometheus class has a docking port of some kind. Yeah, um, it's got one on deck five, from what I remember. Very well. Uh, very well, Hoplite. If you could uh, hold position, we will uh, maneuver and then extend a docking docking port. Excellent. I look forward to meeting you in person. And uh, the view screen cuts off. All right. I'm just going to look around the bridge and go... I was unaware that centaurs existed. Um, thoughts, people? Quite coincidental, Mer though. Yeah, Mertrin goes, I'm just going to do a go through a quick personnel roster of the engineering stuff and find anyone who suffers from acute arachnophobia. Uh, it's quite coincidental that this is the second insectoid-based species we've run to run into here in the Sabine Expanse. Agreed. It's a big galaxy. It's a big galaxy, but this is a local area. It's very possible that the seed, um, the cedars who planted humanoid life um, millennia ago throughout the galaxy might have not gotten out this far. And perhaps there was another species that seeded this. Or it could just be uh, incredibly coincidental. Perhaps we're looking at, rem at the work of the Takan or whichever species created those damned weapons. Considering that the slaw were moved by a uh, much more advanced species, uh, I don't think we can infer if panspermia was a, a factor in this. Agreed. Uh, Miss Sona, please bring us around to Doc, and Mr. Panek, Miss Shatsu, um, please ask... Um, well, I'll ask it myself. Uh, 
Mr. Beckett, uh, please report to the docking hatch on deck five. Uh, aye, Captain. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, which means that I guess if Maddock is on the bridge, then. Oh, well, nope. Technically, Lieutenant Commander Mirthrin outranks him. So, Lieutenant Commander Mirthrin has the con. Okay. Right. Well, I'll ring up Chief Prag and apprise him of the situation. So, uh, as the captain and uh, Shatsu kind of filter out into the turbo lift, uh, they would hear Prag go, What do you mean they're, they're insect people? What, what does that even mean, Mirthrin? Uh, hang on, and Mirthrin sends him a screenshot from the communication log. Bloody hell. And uh, that's where uh, the scene changes. Uh, so I don't really have a, uh, a docking port kind of map prepared, so we're just going to use Theater of the Mind uh, in conjunction with the uh, transporter room, unless anyone thinks otherwise. So let me just, let me just put you in the transporter room. I don't think our transporters are really designed for transporting people of that size. Um, well, you'll you'll see how big they are in a second. Uh, so let's see. There's Hoplite Phaeon. There's Shatsu. Why can't... Oh, because I'm not on GM screen. That's why. Alright. So Shatsu. Panek was coming. And Beckett. Beckett, Beckett, Beckett. Where is Beckett? There he is. Beckett. Might help if he was on the right layer. There we go. So, just the four of you, right? I believe so. Plus the... Oh, wait, we're not in the transporter room. I yeah, I was going to say. Chief, but, mm, my mind is elsewhere. Okay. Uh, I'm going to drag Matic along. Okay. Matic, uh, I'm assuming you have no objections to this. No. Alright. He's been doing enough experimenting on his own. Alright. So, uh, the five of you uh, go to the docking port and are uh, immediately greeted by uh, the individual you see on your screen. Um, he is just big enough, or perhaps just small enough, depending on your viewpoint, uh, that he can fit through your doors, um, but it's definitely a squeeze. Like, if you needed to run through the corridors with him... He'd probably get left behind because uh, of his size. Uh, but uh, as you approach, he uh, kind of, I, I guess the word would be skitter, maybe? Uh, he walks, skitters, whatever you want to flavor it as. He kind of comes up to uh, the captain and uh, nods respectfully in a, uh, in a Japanese kind of way, is how I would say. Very well. I shall mimic the greeting. Ah. Well, it is a pleasure to meet you in person, Captain. Uh, may I introduce? And he turns, and behind you, or behind him, you see a pink carapist uh, female. And uh, he says, uh, this is my second in command. Uh, oh, crap. Where did her... There it is. Uh, she is Joe. Uh, J-O, literally. Um and uh, Joe just kind of bows her head respectfully and says, It is a pleasure to meet you all. A pleasure to meet you, uh, Hoplite Phaon and Joe. I am Captain Barton Skull. Might I present my second in command, Lieutenant Commander Pinnock? 
my chief medical officer, Commander Beckett, uh, engineering specialist, Lieutenant Commander Maddock, and my tactical officer and chief of security, Lieutenant Chatsu. Welcome aboard the Ophion. He, uh, he cracks a smile as he looks around at everyone and says, You're not all of the same species. That's interesting. Where is it that you uh, hail from, exactly? Ah, we... I'm, I am from a planet called Trill. Uh, Mr. Pinek is a Vulcan. Uh, Lieutenant Shatsu is a Cation. And both Beckett and Maddock are from, are from Earth and are called humans. Uh, the United Federation of Planets is a star-spanning um, federation, making up, uh, at last count, 110 member races. It's quite impressive. Uh, we're, a, we're a very small empire by, by comparison. Um, but he looks around, kind of uh, takes in the, the situation and says, not to be rude, but uh, maybe this should take place in uh, uh, more open space. Of course. Um, I'm just going to look at Shatsu and Beckett. Uh, perhaps clearing the duck for this uh, for this event would be a Good idea. Uh, of course, sir. Alright, and as I prepare the duck, where is the duck? There's the duck. Alright, so Locke and Mirthrin aren't there. Sona isn't there. Those three aren't there. Alright, move you guys over to the duck. And paste. He's not quite that big. About that big. Okay. And sort of in the background, Mirthrin's sort of directing traffic and making sure sort of traffic jams don't happen on the way. All right. War. War. Attention, all crew! Giant scorpion monsters are roaming the hallways. Run! <laughs> Run away! Um, not yourself. quite in those words. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh boy! All right. So uh, yeah, interestingly, since you guys put it in chat, so uh, three of you. Uh, do the, I guess what is now tradition, patting the head of the duck as uh, you walk into, well, the duck. And uh, Feon just kind of watches all this and says, is this a, uh, a Federation thing? Uh, indeed not. I, I admit I myself do not fully understand what, what, what they, why they seem to do this. It's... Uh, it is... It, it's, it's just... It's superstition. It's for good yeah. luck. Hmm. Good luck, yeah. good fortune, bon chance. When when all that stands between you and the empty void of space is roughly um, uh, one meter thick of duranium alloy, one tends to take wish for as much good fortune as possible, <laughs> even if we may not believe in such things. Well... Uh, now that uh, we're in a little bit bigger of a space, uh, he stretches a little bit, and you see that he was pretty much condensing himself at this point. Um, so he's probably still about 1.5 to 2 times normal humanoid size. Um, and he says, uh, I'm curious, uh, the gravity that you have on your ship, is it standard for your uh, Federation? It is. It mimics that of Earth and most planets that uh, bred the 
bipedal life forms that make up the vast majority of our member race. Yes. Ah, you're bipedal uh, by nature. Uh... That is the majority of Federation species are. There's a long uh, history as to why it is probably the case, but I won't go into it right now. Well, uh, I simply bring it up because, well, two reasons. Uh, the first is uh, Sko's gravity, our, our home world. Uh, it is greater than this. Uh, we are used to uh, much higher gravity both aboard our ships and on the home world, uh, which kind of plays into your uh, mostly bipedal uh, nature, I suppose. Uh, our form, and he kind of motions at himself and at Joe, um, it is well documented in our society that we owe our form to evolution picking out qualities that uh, help distribute weight as well as serve as being the apex predator. Uh, while this is a standard gravity for most Federation worlds, uh, we do have member... Uh, race members that uh, belong to varying degrees of uh, G. Uh, the Elasians the uh, are, are members, but they come from a low-gravity planet. Uh, however, furiously, they are also bipedal. Hmm. Well, I would love to hear more about them. And as that conversation goes on, uh, Beckett, if you want to roll me a reason plus medicine, uh, I'm going to make the difficulty here just a one. Uh, and let's see what you get. Uh, let me get my sheet back out since everything crashed. Yeah, I noticed that uh, you dropped out there for a little bit. Uh, hopefully you didn't yeah. miss too much. Uh, yeah, I hope not. Uh, just us running into uh, uh, running into them. Um, okay. You said reason or insight? Uh, I'm going to say reason plus medicine because sensors are uh, reason plus science. Uh, so this this seems like a good equivalent. Um, do do I have to ask if xenobiology is an applicable focus? Um, no, no, it doesn't. Yes, of course it applies. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing strange new about these guys at all. All right, so you get a momentum. Uh, so you're gonna notice uh, a few things on your tricorder, Beckett. Uh, the first is that they possess two hearts. Uh, as you might suspect, uh, they have sort of a quote-unquote normal heart uh, in their humanoid half and that they have a much larger uh, one in their kind of lower half, um, which kind of makes sense from a medical point of view because, you know, if it was just one heart, it would have to be massive to uh, get blood to everywhere uh, in their in their form. Um as far as you can tell, the hearts kind of work in an alternating fashion uh, so that it doesn't stress their blood pressure too much. Um, the other thing you're going to notice is that there, if you look at the drawing by Monaris, um, you'll see that they kind of have almost like a bioluminescence to them. Um, obviously, at the moment, it's muted, but you're able to tell that they could potentially uh, give off light uh, to a certain degree, something maybe like a nightlight uh, in intensity. Um, the other medical thing that you'll notice is that, uh, I don't want to say this, I suppose this isn't so much a, a medical observation as it is just a general one, 
Uh, you notice that Joe uh, has a sort of ceremonial bow uh, around her stinger, whereas Faon does not have anything about his uh, about his stinger. Um, a bow, as in, like it is bent, or a bow, as in she is holding a bow in her stinger. Like um, bow and arrow I, I, I read that as a, like a little ribbon. Yeah, like a ribbon. Oh, a bow. Okay, B O W. Got it. No, I thought to you... make to make it cuter. I, I know I said B O W, and multiple of them all are B O W. <laughs> but um, I I I was picturing like a crooked tail, like a cat with a crooked tail. That's what I was thinking of. Okay. Does um, Beckett scan indicate any sort of venom or poison within the? Uh, that was going to be my next question. Okay, uh, I'll give it to you free because I I probably should let it be free. Um, yeah, there is in fact uh, some form of venom in the uh, the stinger. Uh, obviously, though, without getting a uh, a sample, you're not able to determine how potent it might be. Um, but I would say uh, sure. I'll say this, and you can decide if it doesn't apply. Um, Beckett, you would know that normal scorpions, uh, if there's any analog between the scorpion and regular scorpions, the larger a scorpion is, usually the less potent its venom is. Right, right, right. Okay. Because then they get to rely on the gigantic crushing claws up the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, that would be a... a um, um... A good jump of assumption to think the same thing. Okay. Um, and anything... Am I getting anything else about how our... Um, I don't want to say... Well, atmosphere uh, mm-hmm. inside, inside our ship is affecting them in any way? Discoloration or um, the bioluminescence change when we went from... The, the docking bay to here or anything like that? Um, I'd say the bioluminescence probably got a little bit brighter. Uh, but otherwise, they seem to be functioning in uh, your environment just fine. Okay, and um, normal, at least for their human half, two lungs? Or is there another set inside of the, um, the bigger body? Uh, there is indeed uh, another set, and uh, you, if you had to guess, um, the lungs, while they can operate independently, uh, they're almost sort of like redundant organs. Okay. And that's for both of them, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'm quite curious, uh, Hoplite, uh... And I'm sure Lieutenant Commander Maddox has quite a few questions about it as well. About the form and function of your vessel. Uh, how do you prevent micrometeorites from damaging your sails? Ah, well. Uh, our sails are of a special nano-weave uh, that we then polarize. Uh, it tends to deflect most microparticles and other such stray part uh, stray things in space now obviously can't deflect say an asteroid but you know we we try not to run into those it's quite interesting uh polarized fabric quite like the polarized halls of our 22nd century vessels uh 
Uh, more curious, however, is that your current stage of technological develop is, development, as far as we can tell, that you are able to reliably generate tachyons and use them as propulsion? Indeed. Uh, our quantum tachyonic flow burst projectile generators, out of character QTFPBGs, because you'll remember that, totally, um, they are something we've developed within the last hundred years. And I'll, I'll put it in chat just for shits and giggles. And was this your species' uh, first foray into faster-than-light technology? Indeed. Uh, I would say that faster-than-light uh, expansion is fairly new to us. Uh, our empire is only four light-years in diameter, uh, radiating, radiating out from SCO. And uh, most of our major colonies are along uh, naturally occurring tachyon eddies. And have you encountered any other uh, forms of uh, sapient or sentient life in your travels? Uh, personally, uh, this is my second time doing first contact. Uh, the first was with a nomadic species of reptilians that referred to themselves as Ute. U-Y-T. Uh, they declined to visit Disco, though, and uh, were pretty much on their way after we exchanged information. I'll just make a note of that, just in case we decide to seek them out at some point, or run into them. The Ute. Mm -hmm. Very well. I'm quite, um, um... I'd like to know more about your, uh, size, uh, your culture and, uh, system of governance. Uh, Hoplite is quite, uh, an interesting title to have given yourself. Ah, well, uh, I obviously don't know how your federation works, but our government is something that I suppose, and this is more me saying out of character how this comes across in translation, uh, more than him stumbling over his words. Um, uh, we have a dem uh, democratically elected president, and we have a unicameral legislature uh, and our quote-unquote military, which is what I'm technically a part of. Uh, it is separate from that of the governance. And your culture? Uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Uh, I see that you, what I believe is indicative of a female of your species along. Uh, run that by me again, because I don't know if I heard right. Uh, I just wanted to know about his culture in general. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, he kind of turns to Joe, uh, who would have come along with him, and uh, he says, uh, well, uh, I suppose we can uh, say that... <laughs> I don't want to say this out of character. Our culture is similar to that of a, a sailor. We are at heart. Uh, not quite nomads, but we have almost sort of a wanderlust about us. We strive to explore new places and experience new things. Uh, I... As your ideal is shared most commonly by our human compatriots here. They uh, began their uh, sojourns into space much the same way. 
and I'll motion to Beckett and Maddox. Hmm. Hmm. Um, let's see. I was going to ask you a question. I, I, find, I find it an interesting juxtaposition how you seem to hail from a predatory species, but yet your form of governance appears highly, um, no, blah, highly pacifistic. Uh, did you have, or how did you overcome, or have you always been a docile predator? I suppose it would be apropos to say that this isn't our quote-unquote first governance. Of course, uh, I'm sure that might have been the case with your species as well. Uh, it took a few times to get it right. Yeah, that's the gov. That's the that's democracy for you. It's it it's common not it's common saying in our species that democracy is the least worst form of governance that has been discovered yet. Hmm. It's an interesting way to put it. I'll have to remind. I'll have to remember that. Hmm. Might I interest you in various um, forms of uh, beverage or food from our? Uh, from our replicators. Replicators. <clears throat> yes, uh, we are we are in possession of technology that uh, takes common matter and will recombine it to form a variety of uh, food and drink uh, that will satisfy almost any palate. Hmm. I I would love to see such technology. Uh, very well. Um, I'll motion over to the replicator and. Uh, Bacon cheeseburger, fries on the side, a dollop of ketchup. Okay. So, sure enough, uh, the uh, burger kind of appears with all the trimmings you wanted. And uh, Fayon just kind of looks at this and he lets out a, a whistle of sorts and he says, that is, uh, that is impressive stuff. Has um, his um, companion been quiet this whole time? Oh uh, yeah, Joe is kind of lingering behind uh, Feon. She hasn't really said much, if anything at all, really. Um, and she seems to be just kind of either waiting for Feon to give her permission to speak or for someone to address her specifically. Is well, her just... po Sorry. Um, Go ahead. Is her posture one of obvious subservience, or is it just a pol uh, polite uh, silence, such as Shatz or Matic is doing? Hmm. Roll me a. I'll say either an insight plus command or an insight plus con. Okay. And the difficulty here would be a two. Okay. Because again, you've uh, been speaking with them for all of maybe thirty minutes, so yeah. you're trying to gauge based on you know assumptions at this point. Right. Um. Would that be? Would diplomacy count for a focus? I'll allow it, sure. Okay. Hey, would you look at that? You got another One momentum. momentum. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, your best guess, Captain, is that uh, Joe is not... Um, how do I want to say this? It's not like the males rule the females or things of that nature. Uh, it does seem to be more in line with uh, Shatsu and Matic. Like, they, they're here, they just haven't 
said anything because that would maybe interrupt the conversation kind of a deal. Um, but you still get the sense that there's a definite sort of position or role, if that makes any sense. Like, uh, it is not Joe's place to say certain things or act certain ways. Right, now, of so... course, whether or not that's a cultural thing or if that's just how Feon runs his ship, you don't know yet. Fair enough. Sorry, I think I was interrupting someone else. Uh, just while you're, you know, uh, dazzling him with burgers and fries, uh, I'm going to make it a point to walk over to Joe and, and you know, uh, kind of and, and begin discussing stuff with her. Okay. Uh, Joe will... I was going to say, I forgot to get a token for Joe, and I don't really want to mess with it during the game. But uh, Joe, uh, again, kind of has a pink carapace. Uh, she has matching hair. Uh, it's sort of in a bob cut. And uh, she seems very youthful. Uh, or, I guess, to Panek, uh, especially, she would seem like a... Uh, I guess a youthful spirit would just be the best way to describe her. Um, she's very animated when you speak with her. And uh, she seems very excited uh, to be here. Um, we noticed that you uh, move at a, uh, at a at a warp speed of what we designate uh, three, a warp factor of three, and that it would take nine days for you to return to your home planet. Uh, if your captain is amenable, perhaps we could uh, have you there in a matter of minutes. Really? Uh, what what is the top speed of your vessel? Uh, we move at what at something that. Uh, uh, we'll sound completely on that. Uh, we move at what we consider uh, designate a warp factor of nine, uh, above nine. Really? And and how do you accomplish this? Uh, we essentially warp uh, the um, intervening space around us. Uh, if over a, a bubble that we create uh, along, along our vessel. So... You... Up up in the command here, Merthrid is fighting the urge to not interrupt over the comms. <laughs> uh, Matic will step in. Uh, okay. way that it works is in our engines, uh... We have matter and antimatter colliding and interacting with dilithium. What that does is it causes a warp bubble to form around the ship. The space in front of the ship is shortened, and then the space at the back of the ship is elongated. And so I'm and so that's how we're able to travel through space. Hmm. Um I'm sure we could probably share plans with you. Uh, thing I'm most curious about, and I've been looking up on this data pad, is uh, the similarities between your ship and the Bajorans. You both have... Ha they used to have uh, solar, s solar sailing ships, just as you do currently. Really? Uh, I would love to see the, this data. I'll hand the pet data pad to her. Okay, so, you know, she takes it, looks it over, kind of tilts her head a little bit quizzically to the side and says, hmm, yes, this is, uh, 
This is about, uh, to equivalent to us, this is about 60-year-old technology. Yeah. Um, how long was the Cardassian occupation of Bajor? Oh, jeez, I forget off the top of my uh, head. It but... was 50 years? Yeah, 50 years, and then in game time, they've probably been, the occupation ended 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, the Bajorans were occupied by a hostile species that basically didn't allow them to do much. Um, so they they've integrated more into our they've integrated more into using our systems as opposed to these uh, solar sails. Um, but I'm assuming if the Cardassians hadn't occupied them, there's probably a good chance that your technology would probably be equivalent levels. Hmm. Well, uh, obviously, uh, you come from far away, so uh, many of these uh, things you mentioned are strange to me, but I think I understand the gist of what you're trying to say. How far away is Earth from here? Uh, from here? Uh, oh boy, I, I'd have to measure it on a map, but it's, if I remember correctly, it's well over 100, perhaps even 200 light years from here. Uh, we can probably, like, rattle off, like, at warp 3 it would take this long to get there. Yeah, at warp 3, you're not getting anywhere close to Earth within several years. Okay. Yeah, I'll just... Yeah, at your vessel's max speed, three to four years, get back to the planet that my ancestors are from. 135 light years. 135? I was close. Okay. Well, Joe will say, wow, you, you've come quite a ways. Uh, I'm curious, uh, do all of you, well, how does your, how does your, how does your uh, military, I guess, work? Uh, is, is this a science vessel? Is, is this a, a ship of exploration? Is, is it a war vessel? Our ship was designed at the tail end of a massive war between our Federation and a invading power known as the Dominion. Um, that war has come to a conclusion, and this sh ship was has been repurposed into a science and to once again a vessel of science and exploration. That is Starfleet's. One of, Star one of Starfleet's primary objectives is to explore. However, we are, we are called to protect the Federation when needed. I see. Well, uh, and she looks at Feon, and Feon kind of nods. And uh, she continues to say, Well, um, I suppose it's a good thing that uh, you're not from a warlike species. And uh, she laughs a little bit, and... I think everyone present would be able to tell she's probably a little bit relieved, but also a little bit nervous. Mostly because, you know, again, you've been talking for maybe an hour at this point. So, you know, it's hard to, for either you or them to really uh, get a full gauge of what's jokes, what's not, etc. Mm -hmm. Awkward laugh. Um, 
Yes. Um, we would be very interested, uh, just not going to touch that comment with a 10-foot pole. Um, Hoplite Feyen, we would be very interested in uh, meet, heading to your home world. Uh, you mentioned that would be a nine-day travel. We can probably be there in 30, 45 minutes if you'd let us take your ship in tow. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, though I will need to send a communique ahead of us, uh, just so that, you know, no panic is caused. Of course. Um, if you would like to, uh, stay here and meet more of our crew, you're welcome to do so. Um, Mr. Pinek, if you could take them on a tour of the starship and show them the good parts. Hi, Captain. I will head to the bridge. Okay. And on my way to the bridge, I'm going to tap my comm and uh, diplomatic officer Zareed, um, if you could put your game face on and meet Mr. Pinek outside the duck, you're going to have an interesting experience. Oh, uh, yes, Captain, right away. All right. So, uh, I don't really know what map to put you on for this, but uh, Pinek, uh, what would you show... Okay. Uh, your guests. What what areas of the ship? Oh, uh, any of the non non um, security zones, like uh, things that we just like absolutely can't show them. Obviously, I'm not going to have them run around the computer core. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe duck into a couple of the stellar cartography labs. Well, actually, here's a question. Can they even fit in the turbo lifts? Yeah, I was about to wonder that myself. Um, it might be a one one human, one uh, score per turbo lift. Yeah, I would say they're able to crunch themselves in there, but it's definitely not pleasant for them. We'll do site to site for a couple, just just a brief tour called um along some of the labs and stuff and uh make sure to yeah. stop by still cartography to bring up a map and show them yeah uh, don't, don't forget to actually let them know ahead of time that they're about to be transported yeah i was gonna say uh they definitely have no idea what a transporter is uh just a, a warning. Uh, this is in no, no way going to be damaging to your to your person at all. But uh, we are going to <laughs> dematerialize all molecules that you, in your body and then rematerialize them somewhere else. Do <laughs> uh, you say it with the laughing or without the laughing? <laughs> oh, deadpan. Uh, just like you know. Uh, Don't worry. Hoplite Feon just kind of raises an eyebrow quizzically and says, um, Okay, uh, I'll just have to trust that this isn't a roundabout way to injure us. Now, this is just to uh, f- better facilitate movement along our ship. Unfortunately, it was not designed with being such as your, your configuration in mind. And in order to make sure you're comfortable, uh, this is just a step we'll take. Oh, well, uh, I I guess uh, engage this uh, this transporter then, and I'll just I'll I'll let the transporter room to know and then our destination. Okay, so as you uh, we'll say as you rematerialize in stellar cartography, uh, 
Feon and Joe, they kind of look around and look at themselves, kind of doing a self-assessment. And then uh, Feon whistles again, and he says, that, uh, that is some impressive stuff. Uh, indeed. Uh, if you'll follow me, and I'll walk over to one of the win- uh, to the um, consoles, and uh, I'll bring up uh, a, a map of the Federation. This, this is a this is a current map of a, of our uh, our um, civilization, uh, and then and then we are currently located here, where uh, where we found you. Hmm. And of course, uh, Joe and Feon kind of inspect the information. Uh, small sidebar. I did the I did the calculation. It would take you from here, uh, three point five years at warp three to get back to Earth. So small fall fact. Um, yeah, uh, Feon does point out uh, a certain star uh, in stellar cartography. He says that right there. That uh, that would be where Sco is. Interesting. You've you said that your your empire is four light years long, and that you're, you've developed this tachyon um, generating technology primarily because of these tachyon entities that have developed in this region. Uh, what more can you tell us about them? Or do you have any data that you could share? Uh, air, air scientists would be most interested in this phenomenon. Well, uh, not on my ship, but uh, back at Sco, sure, uh, we can get you that information. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, my understanding, uh, and again, I'm I'm just a captain. I'm no scientist. Uh, my understanding is that these uh, tachyon eddies were sort of naturally occurring and are many, many, many years old. Uh, were you able to determine if they are artificial in nature? We've come across quite a few phenomena that could possibly be uh, not naturally occurring. I think I understand what you're saying. Um, we are indeed uh, able to uh, distinguish between our own tachyon generation and that of the eddies, uh, but if there was something that caused the eddies it either is way beyond our technology and he kind of motions around at uh the ship around him uh but perhaps you could uh scan for yourself and determine that i'll have to make sure lieutenant lock gets a chance to do such uh and then we'll just continue with the tour or whatever okay uh, so, uh, as in chat, kind of, again, to keep things moving, uh, we will say that, uh, Skull, uh, uh, Mirthrin and Sona work together to put a, uh, to include the Scorpy vessel, uh, in the warp bubble. And, um, we'll also say for sake of argument that Feon does send off a, uh, a communique, uh, to his, uh, superiors so that when you show up in system, you don't cause a panic. Uh, but I am curious, uh, how many, or not how many, how fast do you want to get there? Uh, well, it'll probably, it won't be at maximum speed, because, you know, we've kind of got tractor beams locked on another ship and we're extending the warp bubble, so, uh, how fast would we get there at warp 5? Well, let's plug it into the handy-dandy calculator and find out. Uh, at warp five, it would take one point six year or one point six days. Alrighty, uh, maybe warp six. 
I say right. sufficiently we'll fast enough to impress them, but without destroying their ship. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know what happens when you try towing something at warp nine point five. <laughs> um, and several smaller things. Uh, also, I would like to use the ship's computers to keep a scan of their vital signs from and compare it to what I took while in the duck, uh, mm -hmm. because some species don't do well at high rates of warp. And seeing as how they've never been over three, and we are going to double that, uh, just to make sure nothing happens. Yeah, we'll have we'll keep a scan on their ship, too, just in case. Okay. Um, and Zareed... Yeah, and and Mertrin will sort of be in contact and go, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to slowly scale up and then back off if something starts to happen. Uh, Zareed, at this point, I'm assuming, has joined the uh, diplomatic party. Oh, yeah. She's just going to walk up to Joe and go, My God, your your shell matches my hair. Is that a natural color? Or do you dye it similar to how I modify my hair color? Uh, no, this is my natural color, as far as I'm aware. She kind of laughs. Most, in, most uh, species of or most uh, insectoid species I'm used to are typically in the blacks, grays, browns, or perhaps multicolored. But I've never seen one manifest a bright pink. Tell me, how many different colors uh, of shell are there? Oh, well, uh, there's all sorts. Uh, and she gives you the equivalent of the Roy GB spectrum. So if it's an RGB color... They probably, they, you know, there's probably someone of her species of such a color. Oh, that's amazing. And you don't, as sad as it is, many of our species have uh, past where, um, where the majority uh, skin color has often discriminated against those of um, other skin colors that make up a minority. Is that the case? Or has that been the case? Uh, no, not really, but, uh, and she kind of smiles and kind of motions to her eyes. Uh, there is a, I guess you could call it a stigma around those of us with black sclera. Oh. And uh, does those sclera give you an evolutionary advantage? Uh, not that we've been able to determine, but, uh, the quote-unquote stigma is that, uh, those of us with black sclera are good luck. Ah, and has that is that what's led you to join this crew? <laughs> Indeed, uh, when I uh, came of age, I applied to Hoplite Faon's ship uh, simply because I found his record to be impeccable. And sure enough, uh, he took me aboard, and here we are. Very fascinating. Uh, speaking of your biology, uh, is your bioluminescence perhaps an, an evolutionary adaptation to uh, burrowing or, or, or living beneath the uh, surface? Uh, it might be more an effect of our sun. Uh, she thinks for a moment and says, Obviously, I, I don't know how luminescent your own sun is, but uh, ours is, I guess you would call it dim by most stars' comparison. Alrighty. So at about that point, Mirthrin will start 
bringing the warp engines online and just going up to warp three and then smoothly scaling up to warp six. Okay. Uh, well, good news is, is I'm not an evil GM today, and I'm not going to have you roll to see if things go badly. Um, I was pretty sure it wouldn't be a problem. It's just, you know, exercising proper caution. <laughs> yeah, um, it's fine. Uh, you're, you're able to uh, get your combined vessels up to warp six. Uh, Beckett, uh, they don't seem to show any abnormalities. Um as far, as far as you're able to determine, they are weathering it just fine. But yeah. Um, let's do this. We'll start the next scene, and then we'll take our break. Um, so, uh, a day passes, and we'll say during this day, uh, you have further uh, conversation with Faon and Joe. And eventually, uh, you guys will arrive. Actually, in... something that Mirthrin would want. At some okay, point let's is, uh... let's let's address that. What, what's uh, what's going on with Mirthrin? Uh, well, at some point or other, well, I mean, obviously, Xenixia would know what's going on, and I, I don't know how interested would she be in meeting another insectoid species. She'd be very delighted to. Yeah, so, it's, at some point, Mirthrin will either go up to either Faon or Joe, whoever seems more approachable. And say, so uh, we do ha actually have one crew member who's from an insectoid species, and uh, they have expressed an interest in coming and meeting you. Huh. This is a, uh, a day of sharing, is how I suppose the scholars would put it. Alrighty. And she'll, he'll sort of tap his comrade. All right, Zenixia, I think we're good to come in. So Zenixia just literally pokes her head around the corner and says, yeah, she'll yeah, sort I know. of like come around the corner and sort of <laughs> excitedly chitter her mandibles. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, Zenixia and uh, Joe just kind of look at one another, uh, kind of size each other up, and then uh, Sko, or not Sko, uh, Zenixia says, ah, that's, that's interesting. And Joe said, kind of raises an eyebrow, and uh, Zenixia quickly explains, oh, um, Sorry, I, I don't know if your species has come across this, but mine is uh, slightly telepathic. We are we're able to pick up surface thoughts. And uh, Joe uh, says, really? Uh, that's an interesting evolutionary trait. And about that point, Merton goes, oh, ooh, I didn't even think about mentioning that. Eh, sorry, empathic species here as well. It just, it, it sort of goes out it's not something you think about, really. Really? Well, I, I, of course, I'm no biologist, and I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I, I'm sure our scholars would love to see any data you could share about this. Oh yes, well, I mean, we've got a couple of telepathic species it, it, in the Federation. I mean, even Vulcans, technically speaking, are mildly telepathic, although that doesn't extend to full-on long-range empathy they have to sort of be right up close and physical but hmm. and uh for sake of brevity she does yep, launch into just... 20 questions yeah. oh yeah well basically so me Zenixia, and joe just have a nice chat about just stuff yeah stuff and things all right so uh when you arrive in the sco system uh you obviously drop out of warp on the edge of the system 
uh, almost immediately, uh, everyone is afforded a breathtaking view. Uh, each of the two planets in the system has something very similar to what's on the screen. So they have sort of a nebula-like uh, set of tendrils and gas that surrounds the planet and uh, trails behind their orbits, kind of like streamers. Uh, the first planet, a Class D, uh, appears to be uninhabited. Uh, its singular moon, however, uh, seems to be home to a small Scorpi outpost, uh, or at least that's what your sensors say. Uh, as far as SCO itself, uh, it is a larger Class L, uh, mostly covered by ice and higher than Earth gravity, as uh, Feon has mentioned. Uh, sensors, yes, the SCO system. Uh, sensors estimate that there's perhaps 12 billion Scorpi uh, living on the home world. Um, also of note, you are afforded a view of the Scorpi fleet. Uh, Faon's starship is comparatively small, with the largest vessel on sensors being just a tiny bit bigger than uh, Starfleet's Nova class. Uh, all of them sport the big solar sails, though the larger the ships uh, get, the more the sails are integrated into the hull rather than sort of like parachuted uh, in front of the ships. Uh, there's also several orbital installations, uh, including an orbital tether complete with space elevator. And Ooh, uh, fancy. as you kind of approach the main, uh, as you approach SCO, uh, Faon says, uh, here, if you would uh, give this authorization code, uh, you should be able to dock with the tether, and we can go down to the planet from there. Ooh, space elevator. Fancy. Very mm -hmm. well. I'll nod my consent to Chief Tin. All right. Uh, are these um, stellar, are these uh, planetary phenomena that we, we see visible here, these tachyon eddies you were referring to? Uh, as luck would have it, uh, sort of. Uh, they don't quite follow all the way, uh, with the eddies, but they are sort of formed and, I guess, held in place because of them. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to look at, um, Locke and just ask, um, uh, Mr. Locke, can you tell me about more about these eddies? Right. I definitely scan them as we pass by, okay. since that was requested of me earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're able to determine that uh, the bulk of the mass of the... How do I want to say this? Starting... If the eddies, quote-unquote, started at the planet, then the tendrils of gas and particles that are nebula-like uh, follow it for perhaps... Uh, maybe about a third or a fourth of an AU. Um, but after that, they the there's not enough matter or particle or material for the tendrils to, you know, keep going. Um, so it's I think the word streamer is probably the best descriptor. Um, but you are able to determine that the the gaseous ones. The, the, obviously the, the light show kind of ones are naturally forming. The uh, the headwaters of these tachyonides does seem to be a naturally recurring phenomena, Captain. Fascinating. It's intriguing. Um, but 
probably paradoxically uh, prohibitive for their technology since it encouraged them to develop solar sails. Might have sped their um, travel interstellarly, but it's not a particularly long-term way of traveling. I mean, it depends how easy, whether they have any easy access to dilithium or a similar regulator of antimatter reactions. So I'm going to say this before we go to break. So, uh, Locke, uh, you just nonchalantly scan for any nearby dilithium deposits. And immediately you find a absolutely freaking ginormous deposit of it in SCO. And I would describe it sort of like, so if you remember the one episode of uh, TNG where uh, the planets were basically shaking themselves apart because it was so much dilithium, that's kind of the same thing here, except for the fact that the Scorpi seem to have found a way to take that sort of mechanical energy that's produced uh, when the dilithium crystal takes in the heat of the planet. Uh, they have found a way, uh, either naturally or via technology, to dissipate uh, that mechanical energy and use it as a power system. Captain, it appears they're using the naturally occurring dilithium as a form of geothermal energy. Very efficient, but... I just laugh at the irony. So they're using... So what we're using for space travel, they're using to heat their cities. Fascinating. Uh, Mr. Panek, if you wish to organize an away team, please do so. And I'll send the authorization code to the uh, elevator. Okay. So yeah, uh, the Ophion does indeed dock with the tether, and this is where we're going to take our break. Uh, So five to ten minutes, guys, and when we come back, uh, we'll see how... uh, your meeting with the president goes. All right, so BRB. All right, I am back. I should actually go get myself a coffee in the break.
So who else here at the moment? I think Panek, you're here, yeah. Mm-hmm. How you liking it so far? Uh, always like first contact. You get to ask uh, interesting questions, I guess. Just hoping we don't get shot at like last time. <laughs> Indeed. No, I uh, I took a different tack with this one. Uh, I'll probably say this at the end of the adventure uh, off stream, but I think it's worth mentioning that uh, um, I'm a big softy for uh, peaceful sort of first contacts, um, simply because I subscribe to the mindset of uh, not everyone is Klingons. So uh, I always, I, I guess, I kind of worry a little bit whether or not I'm I'm lowballing the tension for a uh, like an episode like this. Um, but uh, I think it's a nice uh, dichotomy or uh, sort of mirror of the full combat that we just had. It's kind of like a nice ramp down. Yeah. Uh, but had had we discovered this planet during the war, I think first contact would have gone a little different. We oh, yeah. more aggressively tried to get their uh, dilithium from them. Oh yeah, most definitely. It's also pretty dangerous, like, um, quite a few times in the novels, uh, the Romulans and the Klingons both suicide dive into a dilithium planet just to completely wreck the whole thing because they can't have it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a colorful history, I'll say that much. Welcome back. I'm here too. Welcome back. Hmm. Actually, that pro that probably was a conversation that Mertrin had with Joe at some point. Was so uh, a number of humanoid species de develop mild phobias of insects just due to what insects are like on most planets. What what do large scorpion centaurs have phobias of? <laughs> um. I think she would probably tell you something like avians, so birds. Mm, makes sense. Uh, note to self, make sure to put a password lock on anything by... I've forgotten the name, but the guy who directed the birds. Ah. Hitchcock. Hitchcock, yeah. Uh, put a warning on Alfred Hitchcock movies. <laughs> I have returned. Welcome back. Sorry, what's their race name again? It's the Scorupi? Uh, Scorpi. Uh, so it is, Scorpi. it's the first half of Scorpion, just uh, spelled differently. So S-K-O-R-P-I. Ah, okay. Oh, I probably should have put that in Roll20, but... Uh, Scorpi uh, from the planet Scope. Yep. Gotcha. I was calling, I was thinking about calling them the Scorupi, then I remember, oh right, that's a Pokemon. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not the best wordsmith out there when it comes to names, but uh, you know, I went for something hey, simple at least, here. At least we can remember these ones instead of like the Zavoisi and the <laughs> Minister. I can remember the Zavoisi just fine. Well, yeah. that's, it did take us a few times. 
That's fair. Yeah. Alright, uh, I think... And, and the Xenixia species is the Exchithesis? No, Exchithesis is the ring world. Uh, they are... Um... Oh god, now I can Oh, the Slaw. The Slaw are their they're That's name. right. Slaw spelled Slough. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. Um, yeah, I think we're all back. I think the only person I haven't heard from is Matic and Beckett. Eh? Eh, we'll give him another minute. We've got the time. Okay, Mike was muted. Ah, a vast security is warning me that Google Drive is a phishing site. <laughs> okay. I mean... <laughs> Maybe Google has finally been compromised by the Russians? Oh, who knows? I think about that, like... Mind you, if Google wanted your username and password, they would just easily take it, so... Really? Okay, back. Welcome back. Nice. Oh, I was Google has so much more than username and password. <laughs> just gonna download that, and then uh, we'll, we'll resume. Uh, let's see. Expands. Expands. Uh, quick question. Sure. Who's the uh, the uh, pulse rifle thing, or the rail rifle, or whatever the alien rifle? Who's the owner, quote unquote? Um, I think it's just like in the weapons locker general requisitions. Right. Uh, I don't think any. So I would say Shatsu. <laughs> yeah, I think Shatsu would be the one to talk to, but I don't think any player has claimed it. Yeah, the other it's rifle. just a requisition kind of thing for away missions. I assume the GM would take threat if we were to choose to bring it along. Oh yeah, that is uh, that is an escalation uh, type item. <laughs> we bring it Does along. It have a, this... uh, stun setting? Uh, no, it is a no. projectile based this is weapon. A weapon, which specifically is not possible to put on stun. Yeah. You, you stun it by a aiming away from the, uh, sensitive parts. <laughs> There is also the Federation TR-116 rifle. Yeah, which, thankfully, n not many people know about it in character. I think Locke, Shatsu... Uh, is, that, is that the one from the DS9 episode where it's like a sniper rifle that can see through everything? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. the the difference is is that that's a TR-116 that has a microtransporter at the front, but obviously the normal rifles don't have that. But yeah, uh, I would say that if the Borg ever show up, pull out that railgun in the TR-116. You'll have a good time. It might not stun people, but it might stun vehicles. Yeah, fair point. Just, uh, just like, holy shit, what the hell hit us? That that rifle stun setting is when you pull it out and they see it for the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is Maddox asking about this? Or... Yes. Actually, Maddox would actually know about the, uh, the 116. Because uh, Block would have tapped him to help him work with something for that. All right. And then Maddox's also been uh, doing research on the alien rifle, trying to see if it'd be possible to have the Daystrom Institute create something similar. Um, I think I said this to the players already, but I'll say it again just to be safe. Um, you could conceivably replicate the components but no one's actually tried doing it yet 
Yeah, I think most of it has been, holy crap, that thing can shoot. Let's not touch it again with the 10-foot pole. Pretty much. Yeah, well, yeah, I forget, like, we tested it out and, like, didn't, we had, like, something like three separate things of, uh, sort of escalatingly tough material in it geranium. took the geranium to actually stop it. Mm-hmm. It took quite a bit. Yeah. Imagine if you had fired that thing in engineering. Yeah, th- th- that's why we opened the back of the cargo bay and pointed it at a sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's jump back into things. Uh, so uh, you have docked with the tether, uh, and I'm just curious uh, who's going on the away mission. Uh, Matic would because alien technology. Okay. Uh, Zareed would. Uh, Panek, and uh, I'm going to order Beckett to come on. And Jester can come too if he wants. Alright, alright, hold on. Let me get everybody, let's get people on the screen. Alright, so there's Zareed, uh, there's Matic. Um, do we need to do anything? Like, put on a, I don't want to say exosuit, because that would probably be the wrong term, but I know what uh, you're is there gravity, like, a lot heavier than earth or is it like 1.5 earth or something like it's an extra 30 to 40 pounds on us uh it's probably an extra 30 to 40 pounds um so it's manageable but i wouldn't go sprinting any marathons in it okay so uh, it's not like a human trying to go to the elcor world in mass effect or something that's a good comparison actually yeah um okay so i got zareed matic panek beckett uh anyone else I mean, Mirthrin will probably have to stay behind, so uh, can I bring Xenixia? You can certainly bring Xenixia. Mirthrin could go if he wants. I mean, like ba- basically, it's a case of, I think, Xenixia gives everyone the puppy dog eyes, which kind of works. Ah. Uh, Depending big... on how cute you think insect eyes giving you big, sparkly puppy dog eyes is. There's no security, so I'd like to bring Shatsu down. Okay. Sure, you can run Shatsu. Matic is his own security. Panek <laughs> is completely unfazed by the extra gravity. Yeah, I was going to say, because um, I, I think Vulcans are somewhat used to it. Scene change, so I'm world. assuming momentum gone? Yeah, there, this definitely is a scene change. There's been a couple, but okay. I haven't really been keeping track, so... Three momentum is fine. Wait, um, I didn't say anything about scene change we still have four. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure Shatsu is, uh, Beckett is also armed as usual on away missions. Okay. Just stating for the record. Well, I think it's standard procedure that, uh, everyone at least goes down with the phaser, but I could be wrong. Uh, yes, actually pretty much exactly that. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah, good call, Captain. <laughs> Alright, so, uh... Well, Lucas' spider is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Alright, so, uh... The six of you, uh, hopefully everyone has a supporting character if they're not uh, particular in the scene. Um, the six of you and Hoplite Phaon uh, step aboard the orbital tether. Um, actually, backing up a, a small bit. So obviously, uh, when you dock with the station um, and step out uh, onto it for the first time, you see sort of a, I wouldn't call it a crowd, but definitely some gatherings of some Scorpi that are very excitedly talking about your arrival. Um, unless you would stop and, like, really listen to conversations, 
the general snippets you get are sort of like, ooh, I wonder what they're like. Um, oh, look over there. It's that. That's probably them. Uh, I wonder how fast it can go. You know, things of that nature. So our universal translators are working relatively well? Yeah, your universal okay. translators are actually performing their job, which is a surprise. Um, if no one stops her, Zarid is just going to wave at anyone that stares. Okay. Uh, some, uh, Of course, there's varying reactions to that. Uh, some sort of just excitedly start talking faster. Others kind of uh, wave back. Uh, and others still just kind of tilt their heads quizzically to the side like they don't really understand the gesture. Um, if uh, I will, once we get down on the planet, uh, I will tell Xenixia, um, mm-hmm. just in case no one has said it before, if you get any feeling from any of these people that would be dangerous to anyone in our group, please let Lieutenant Shatsu know as soon as you can. Oh, of course, of course. So now, uh, with you guys aboard the tether, um, you're riding the space elevator down, and Phaon kind of motions at the surface of the planet, and he says, uh, I think I've mentioned this already once before, but it's it's worth saying again, uh, because out of character, he probably addressed this already, but in in character, you haven't heard it yet. Um, As long as you choose to stay on SCO, uh, I will be acting as your personal ambassador. Uh, there's a great honor uh, for those hoplites such as myself who are able to uh, make first contact. Uh, of course, uh, my first order of business is to take you to see President Ochnus. Uh After that, though, it's kind of, you know, what you personally want to see. Um, uh, does the As we're descending in the lift, is it like a glass elevator that we can see out as we're descending? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the general... So there's 12 billion Sco or Scorpi on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that it, they're clustered together in large cities? Yeah, so um, if you kind of look at the scenery uh, behind the tokens at the moment, uh, those are kind of what their big cities look like. Um, they are more or less kind of stunted or kind of wide-based, uh, probably because of the the additional gravity. Um they probably can't build as high as, say, uh, New York uh, skyscrapers. Um, that or they use a different material that uh, is able to withstand the extra stress. Um, but the background image here is, I think, the closest I personally was able to find that kind of matched the idea I had in my, my head. Okay. So a, l- a lot of very solidly built buildings. Exactly makes sense but are there armaments like are we under like heavy guard that is the other thing i forgot to mention so uh their ships uh have uh i believe they are phase piss phase it's whatever the annex class has Uh, oh phase cannons phase cannons that's what it was yeah so uh yeah they their ships have phase cannons um, they all have polarized hulls, so they don't have shields. And uh, they're like hand-to-hand weapons. Um, you see that they don't really carry anything like daggers or swords or or things of that nature. But uh, 
I think Why actually you need you, to when you have a massive tail. Exactly. Um, I don't think you've seen any uh, Scorpy yet that would have some sort of a, a gun or phaser equivalent. Mm. Yeah, I, I would say that you, you don't know at this point. I'm going to ask, um, or Zareed will ask uh, Poplite fan in conversation. Mm-hmm. I could not... I could not help but notice the intricate patterns on your solar sails, well, solar shale, so, solar, sh- solar sail ships, <laughs> sails, um, and that they're different from each other ship. Do you get to design your own pattern? Do they represent anything? Well, yes. Uh, the ships are sort of generational in that they pass uh, from family to family or within the same family. Uh, I... St- Suppose they would be the equivalent of a, a house crest. Oh, that's fascinating. So your your father or mother was the captain of your ship before you took over? My grandmother, actually. Ah. I see. And so your ship then, of your ship has been through several technological upgrades in its time, because obviously your great-grandmother and her parents before her were probably not Sailors? Star sailors? If I'm getting the term right? More or less. Uh, yeah, it, is a, it is a fairly new occupation. Uh, but uh, it's one that we as a society and as a, a species, uh, I think we've risen quite well to the challenge. I'm very intrigued to learn more about your uh, uh, generational histories. I hope that there's large libraries with um, charts and can certainly make sure that you get access to such things. Lovely. Uh, considering there are 12 billion inhabitants of your planet, and most of your hemisphere is covered in ice, uh, what kind of constraints does this put on your society as a whole? Fayon thinks for a moment, and he says, if I understand the question, um, it's not so much that we're hindered by ice. Uh, in fact, uh, our bodies are quite well designed to uh, handle such conditions. Um, however, uh, if, I, if I understand your meaning, uh, most of our uh, major structures are subterranean. I see. Uh, and, uh, of course, the, um, the matter in which you use dilithium to generate power, this enables you to continue with... Uh, agricultural processes indeed we have uh, vast underground farms that are heated by the dilithium it's innovative uh, that sounds good said says zanixia from behind who is a, a, a sort of snaking along a little bit slower than normal because uh, i'd imagine the cold isn't really agreeing with her oh yeah zanixia's not having a good time we sort of she's Luckily, she brought her, like, ceremonial stuff, and she's sort of using that to half-pull herself along to keep up. Yeah, that's a question we should figure out is an exosuit for Xenixia, just in case it comes to it. Well, though, it's uh, been as long As long enough. as we get into the warm soon, I should be fine. Hmm? I now agree. It is very cold here. Oh my god, you meowed. <laughs> <laughs> when she starts licking her herself that's when roleplay has gone too far oh god i'm doing that we had a webcam oh, god. Myself very furiously. oh god 
Um, after <laughs> after the two of them, the, the stream is cancelled forever. Yes. Af after, uh, yeah, we just completely broke Twitch TOS. Um, <laughs> after, uh, after, uh, Shatsu says that, uh, Beckett will pull out of his medical kit, um, effectively like we have nowadays, uh, chemical hand warmers. Oh. Um, and we'll kind of break them up and shake them around a little bit and then hand one to, uh, to each of them and tell them that that'll at least keep you a little bit warm. Thank you. Yeah, Zenexia finds somewhere under the shell to stow it and just sort of tucks it in there. Alright. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, the elevator finally reaches uh, its base, and it is in such a city that you see on the screen. Uh, as you might guess, it's the center of the city, so when you step out of the elevator and onto what would be the equivalent of uh, Scorpy Streets. Um, I think the, the best comparison, actually, is either uh, Dubai or New York, depending on how much uh, you want to put into stock, uh, how big their buildings are. Either would be a good comparison. Um, and, of course, uh, you do get some stairs and some... Uh, inquisitive looks from Scorpy who are passings by, but uh, nobody really accosts you. Uh, nobody really um, makes a big deal out of it or, you know, treats you like uh, celebrities trying to get away from paparazzi. Um, so you're being noticed, but you're not being mobbed, if that makes any sense. And uh, as you, you know, Proceed along the streets. Fayon points out a, a few uh, interesting landmarks, uh, monuments, certain buildings, things of that nature. Uh, but one in particular that he's leading you to, uh, he says, and this building here is where we will find the president. Uh, I've already arranged with him to uh, for him to do a uh, what we would call a ceremony of uh, information exchange. Uh this is where he will present you with a uh, ceremonial tablet that will contain uh, some information. And uh, it is usually the same time that you would present yours. Uh, however, uh, if you wish to, uh, of course, uh, hold off on such things, that is perfectly okay. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, this ceremony would be broadcasted to the whole planet. Uh, Zareed surreptitiously passes Pinek her standard first contact uh, Federation info package pad. Uh, thank you, Mr. Reed. Uh, we have a uh, have a uh, data slate as well to uh, present. Uh, are there Complete any with other orchestral fast... remix of the TNG theme. <laughs> Narrated by Patrick Stewart. Are there any other facets of the ceremony we should be aware of so that we do not uh, create an incident? Well, uh, if you were Scorpy, I would say keep your stinger down and uh, make sure that uh, at no point you had it pointed at the president. But seeing as how you don't have such features, uh, Fan thanks for a moment. I suppose the only thing you should know is that if the president does bow, uh, it is customary for him to bow the lowest. So don't try to beat him in bowing. Uh, and I'll make sure I look at all the, at the away team so they understand that. And then I'll say, uh, I will endeavor to make sure my ears are not too offensive. 
Fan doesn't quite know how to respond to that one, so he just sort of smiles and turns back to leading you uh, on. At, at the comment of, I will make sure that my ears do not offend, Beckett immediately goes, <clears throat> Okay, <clears throat> I'm so glad I was here for that. <laughs> Zareen snickers and just sort of flips her hairs over her uh, pointy ears. Shatsu yeah. does nothing. Shatsu does nothing. Yeah, it's Shatsu hard. Shatsu can't take it. <laughs> oh, dear. Xenixia luckily is hard to read because, of course, she picks up surface thoughts, so she entirely gets the context of why Beckett is snickering. Xenixia's mm-hmm. having fun. Uh, anyways, so uh, you are permitted entrance into the president's building. Uh, of course, there are some security procedures. Uh, without getting into too much detail, they more or less run you through like the TSA. They make sure uh, that if you have any weapons, they're either uh, stowed with the security people here uh, or that you show them that they are deactivated or otherwise properly um Basically, so that you're not armed and going to assassinate the president. Um, this would probably be the first okay. time you would see any of the Scorpy with what would fa- uh, what would be the equivalent of a rifle or a gun. Um, they are what... Uh, I don't really have a good picture, but they're the same level of technology that uh, Enterprise had as a series. So, yeah, more phase pistols. Mm-hmm. So I guess everyone hands over their phases. Zenixia hands over the ceremonial staff just to be safe, because, you know, that might technically count as a weapon. True, true. Um, I guess the important question is, does anyone resist this uh, sort of turnover of weaponry? Um, Matic is very hesitant in handing over his knife. Okay. Um, well, the, uh, the Scorpy, who is... Uh, quote-unquote, running the checkpoint, does uh, assure Matic that uh, you'll get it back. Just uh, just can't have you, uh, you know, such things around the president. Uh, Shatsu pulls out the power pack from her phaser before handing over the phaser. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Beckett will happily hand over his phaser as he is currently holding the prototype that Locke built. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I guess if everyone else is doing Panek, will be a, a follower. Okay. So yeah, uh, you guys hand over all your weapons, and uh, once you have cleared the checkpoint, uh, Feon, of course, leads you up up into a uh, another elevator uh, to go to near the top floor where the president is. And uh, when you uh, step out of the elevator and into the president's office... Um, the best comparison I could make, if you are uh, familiar at all with the Superman animated series, um, the one in the 90s, um, if you remember how Lex Luthor's office was. Okay. Uh, it is Large spherical with windows looking lot. out all over the place. Exactly. Okay. Um, there's also, because I think it's an interesting flavor, uh, there is indeed the fish tanks as well. Uh, obviously, these don't have sharks, but... Uh, they do have some uh, colorful fish in them. Um, as for the president himself, uh, Ochnus, uh, O-C-N-U-S, uh, Ochnus is a fairly well-built individual. Um, I would say that he... 
he's built like a bodybuilder uh, more than he is, say, a uh, a sailor. Um, so he has in you know indications of musculature. Um, he is dressed in a, I guess you would call it sort of like a robe. Um, for reference, uh, Phaon uses something more like a uh, a uh, a form fitting uniform. Um, so Agnes, of course, in robes would look different. Um, the other thing to note is that Agnes's uh, carapace and uh, kitten, chitin, um, is of a gray color, sort of a, a dark gray. And uh, when uh, you all step in and Feon introduces you all, uh, Agnes comes over and uh, begins bowing to each of you. And he says... Uh, esteemed guests, I welcome you to Sko. Uh, on behalf of the Scorpy people, I would like to extend an olive branch of good faith, cooperation, and good health. Uh, we greet you in the same. Uh, and I'll hold up a belt salute and say, uh, peace and long life. Uh, Agnes tries to uh, mimic the gesture. Uh, and he does a fairly good job of it, uh, but uh, he he kind of waits to see if uh, you critique him or say anything else when he does the gesture. No, dead face. Not <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, he very quickly nods, uh, puts his hand back to Marvel, and says, uh, "As a again token of good faith, I hereby present you a data packet from the Scorpy people." That should facilitate future diplomatic endeavors. And he proffers a pad, and he looks to Phaon, who then points at uh, Panek. Uh, and Panek, uh, do you take the pad or let someone else take it? Uh, I'll take the pad, but I'll pass it to Zareed. Okay. Very and well. then uh, we too uh, wish to present a packet of information in regards to our federation. Uh, and then I'll, I'll offer the, the data pad to him. Okay. He happily takes it, and he does a half bow. And... Uh, I bow. I bow. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he bows, and you bow as well, and then he says, very well. Well, uh, now that that's taken care of, and uh, you don't hear or see anything that would indicate... Uh, otherwise, but you immediately, or at least Zenixia immediately gets the sense that uh, you're no longer quote unquote on air. <laughs> but yeah, Ochnus uh, just kind of uh, says uh, so. Given that Zenixia oh, then sort of looks around for what looks like the closest thing to like a heating vent and just subtly begins shifting over in that direction. <laughs> well, it's easy to find for her. Um, so Agnes says, uh, so, uh, what Phaon has told me is, is quite fascinating. You use dilithium for ship propulsion. Uh, I'll kind of look over my shoulder and suddenly not motion Commander, uh, Lieutenant Commander Maddock forward. Uh, may I present Lieutenant Commander Maddock, our engineering advisor. Uh, he, uh, has any, he can answer any, any questions in regard to our, uh, ship's propulsion. Uh, also present um, Mrs. Anixia, uh, our tech, uh, technician specialist. 
she is also uh, a, m a member of our engineering team and uh, coincidentally also comes from the Sabine Expanse, the uh, local area of space that we've termed. Uh, Yep, so Zenixia sort of comes up, sort of gives gives another respectful bow. Mm -hmm. uh, Matic extends a handshake. Uh, by now, I think Feon has figured out what a handshake is, so he'll kind of motion for the president to take your hand and shake it. Uh, and he does. And uh, Akna says, uh, it is a pleasure to meet you both. Uh, I'm... Sure, uh, we can, you know, hash out the finer details of it, but uh, this is a momentous day, uh, both as uh, a member of the Scorpy people and as uh, a member of what I hope to become a uh, greater intergalactic community. The, f the Federation is always accepting... Uh, like-minded species into our own as a as a peer, Mr. President. Um, while we there will be, of course, a lot of diplomatic envoys and cultural exchanges before such proceedings are are can be initiated. If that is, if your desire is to uh, join the Federation, that is certainly a possibility. Or if you just wish to uh, remain as cultural exchange or keep your a sector of space within the Scorpi people, and just perhaps a trade agreement, my uh, trade agreement and diplomatic uh, diplomacy options. However, there are, there are many. We the Federation has many different ways of interacting with its friends. Hmm. Oh, I'd be interested to yeah, sort of the next year fight stuff and goes. Yeah, they're, they're actually being quite helpful on my home world. Hmm. Yes, Xenixia here is uh, from Akshisis, a um, artificially created planetoid, um, roughly forty light years um, to the gla uh, galactic spinward. Hmm. Tell me more. And as you tell him more, uh, we yeah, and uh, sort of Xenixia sort of immediately perks up and is like, "Oh, I get to talk about my homeworld." Yes, exactly. Um, so not to take away from Mirthrin being able to do that, but back up on the ship. Um, Locke, you're detecting an incoming high warp signature. Hmm. Can I recognize the uh, the type of warp? Is there a warp signature? Um, I think this would be an insight plus con, I think. Um, but if you give me a good argument, I might give you reason plus science. What about reason plus con? Because it's all about brains, but con is definitely seems the... Uh, yeah, let's do reason plus con. Sure, why not? Uh, the difficulty here would be a two based on the range. So the, this is like on the edge of your long-range sensors. We have three momentum, so I'm going to spend one for an extra die. Okay. All right, you, you get what you need. Uh, so the signature is of a Ferengi-class, uh, or a Ferengi-Decora-class marauder. And it is headed in your direction. Uh, oh, sort of Mirthrin oh, oh. from the captain's chair goes, uh, Locke, is there something wrong? Wouldn't the captain actually be in the captain's chair? No, oh, captain well, no, could be in his ready room. Oh, isn't the captain down on the planet? Nope. No. Nope. Oh, okay, sorry, I thought Mirthrin was sort of manning <laughs> the con. 
Cap, uh, Commander Murthren, I'm detecting a Ferengi uh, Marauder-class ship approaching. Uh, Murthren sort of blinks and goes, Oh, boy, that that is... Captain, can you come through to the bridge? On my way. Red room door. Status report, Murthren? Uh, we've got a Ferengi Marauder coming into system. Oh. Approaching at high warp, sir. They seem to know exactly where, where to go. Oh, no. Very well. Um, inform the... Um, uh, send a message to this, uh, the Scorpi uh, docking control that we will be releasing docking clamps. And I want the ship fully maneuverable to uh, inter- to deal with uh, any potential Ferengi interference. But they, they have as much claim to this world as we do at the moment. Should we notify the landing party, sir, Captain? Absolutely. Scald a Panek. One moment, please, Mr. President. And of I'll course. Uh, Panek here, Captain. Go. We may be getting some big lobed company. Uh, we're detecting a, decor, a Ferengi Decora class entering the system. Uh, at the mention of Ferengi, nothing changes on Panek's face, but. It's at the back of Zenixia's mind, just at the very, very back, there's a tingle <laughs> of irritation. <laughs> um, do you have any, any standing orders for us, Captain, or shall we continue with their diplomatic uh, um, duties? Continue with the diplomatic uh, overtures. The Ferengi have as much claim to the system as we do at the moment. Um, however, we should be on the lookout for any opportunist any um opportunistic advances that the Ferengi may make uh, right. against the planet shall so I they... inform the president of their, of this development uh yes if yes it's best that he get the full picture of what a Ferengi is instead of the picture that the Ferengi decide to give him um, uh, I'll send uh, transmissions down to uh, Zenixia's pad okay uh, I captain will do and then I'll step back oh, over. So you'll be curious about this because I don't think she's ever actually met a Ferengi. Nope. Uh, nope. No, she has not. Or not Zenixia's Zareed's pad, I should say. Ah. Well, Zenixia would still pick it up pads. from Zareed, so yeah. you know. Yeah. One or the other. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, we'll say the away team. Uh, you converse for about another. 20 minutes and it's at that point that a uh, a beeping sound comes from the president's desk and uh, he says uh, if you'll excuse me and uh, he walks over to the desk uh you know says to go ahead and uh, an individual says uh president we're detecting an incoming vessel uh our federation guest seems to be moving already should we assume a uh, defensive posture sir the president kind of looks at uh, the away team as if trying to gauge, you know, what his reaction should be. Uh, I, I don't uh, know how much he can pick up from me, but maybe one of the others. I I I put in chat exactly what Beckett does at the at the mention of Ferengi. Okay. Uh, so uh, Ochnus kind of raises an eyebrow and looks specifically at uh, at Beckett. Well, if no one else is going to say anything, uh, Zareed, 
Mr. Mr. President, uh, the species that is that is entering your system are known as the Ferengi. Uh, while they are not a hostile species, um, they are aggressively capitalistic with very few morals for how they receive their uh, their profits. While they may off, they will come offering you the world in shiny new technology, and they will offer it at prices at first which seem probably too good to be true. And once they um, sink their, if you'll excuse the term, claws into you, then they'll begin extracting every uh, piece of profit they can out of you. Uh, Mr. President, it's also worth noting that the Ferengi Alliance has no regard for the consequences of introducing such technology to your world. Uh, whereas the Federation implicitly has a uh, has a directive against interfering in the development of of uh, societies and cultures such as yours. And Zernixia goes, well, I can't really add much since I've never met a Ferengi, but I can say that uh, it, that uh, every time they get mentioned, this lot seem to develop a mild headache. Agnes kind of... Oh, go ahead, Maddox. Sorry. I don't really know what the crew has been through with the Ferengi, but... Through the Institute, I've had my share of dealings with them trying to acquire experimental technology. So I'm relatively familiar with their rules of acquisition should they try to start blustering. Blustering? Blustering? I don't know, I, I don't know what the word is. Uh, <laughs> themselves around trying to seem more important than what they really are. Posturing. Posturing, that is the word. That's it. In essence, Mr. President, while uh, we do not believe that the Ferengi prevent a uh, security risk, uh, if you would take my advice, it would be to approach them with caution and as the humans of my crew are prone to say, a grain of salt. And in other words, uh, make, pay particular close attention to what they say and uh, what they aren't saying. Very well. Uh, so he replies to the uh, the individual on the comm, and he says, "Have a standard security uh, response. Uh, I'd like a few ships between uh, them and our planet, but uh, keep weapons powered off for now." And uh, the individual on the other side of the comm says, "Of course, sir." And uh, Moments later, I would say everyone, including the away team and those on the sh the Ophion, um, you get a wideband transmission uh, from the Marauder uh, as it drops on the edge of the system. And the transmission is as follows. And I was going to do a Ferengi voice, but my throat's killing me, so you'll have to excuse me. Um, so the message is, the Ferengi Alliance hereby wishes to engage in trade negotiations for the dilithium contained on your planet. I, Damon Ron, promise a fair and reasonable series of negotiations. And the message just continues on in a stereotypical Ferengi way. That that was actually a good Ferengi uh, voice. That, that was good. Yeah. I try. So yeah, my, my question is, how would you respond as characters? The key to a good Ferengi voice is to practice saying the word acquisitions over and over. Human. <laughs> Human. Oh, Female. God. Okay, I got the yeah. 
It's like you break everything up into two syllables and you always emphasize the first. Anyways, uh, how do you as characters react to this uh, this message? It's We should mention that um, you, your planet is extremely wealthy in Dilithium. It is not a. It is a resource that most other species would happily pay quite a lot for. Uh, indeed, uh, as the core resource that powers pretty much every starship in the Federation, it's a highly desirable resource. Zenixia adds in. Uh, fair and reasonable are not adjectives I would usually apply to Ferengi, though I have met a few on occasion that uh, go against the norm. Hmm. Beckett, Beckett um, will add, don't forget, you have what they want. If if you were going to intertrade with them, you make them pay for everything that you give them. It is a warning. A Ferengi technology is not as advanced as the, uh, the Federation's, but it is many centuries above yours. So what they might consider obsolete, you will be, will be very... Um, very much a boost for you. However, you must be aware of the potential misuse of it and the dangers of the technology, as well as becoming a reliant on technology that you cannot repl uh, replicate. Their their government has also changed in the last uh, three or four years to a much more lenient Negus, who does not place profit above uh, other values. However, most of their society is still very conservative in their mindset and demand seeking of profit. Chances are this Damon Ron is similar in that mindset. Uh, it would be inappropriate for us to continue to advise you in this situation. Uh, you uh, clearly have procedures and protocols in place for dealing with this. Um, but uh, but nothing, never mind. Well, uh, Achmus says, uh, well, uh, I appreciate the input you've given thus far. Uh, I hate to cut our meeting short, but uh, I think I do need to meet uh, our new guests. Uh, and he looks to Feon and he said, uh, Hoplite Feon, if you would see them back to their vessel, please. And Feon nods and says, of course, President, uh, if, if you all will follow me. Oh, so much for the uh, tour. Jeez. As the... Um... Uh, I, I as we go out of the room, Zenixia sort of turns to yours and goes, I noticed everyone seemed to be trying very hard to be as neutral as possible in their opinions. Uh, well, we may have a personal uh, bias against the uh, Ferengi. As Starfleet officers, we have a duty to not uh, uh, adhere to uh, stereotypes and prejudices. Ah, I see. Let let them make their own conclusions. I'm confident after dealing with the Ferengi for enough time, they will come to uh, similar conclusions. Move to the commander, have you met a Ferengi that didn't fit the stereotype? One, one or two. Huh, lucky you. Ferengi cannot be trusted. <laughs> but they, 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 it is advantageous for the... This, um, Scorpinox <laughs> to uh to do what oh they my can. Oh god, there are racing triple changing scorpion transformers. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
they, they can get much from the Ferengi for offering very little. They do have quite a bit of dilithium to prepare. Um, as the once uh, the once I get word that the uh, away team's heading back, mm-hmm. uh, Skull is going to send a quick message just down to the president's office uh, saying that the Federation has experience in working with the Ferengi and mm-hmm. is willing to offer themselves as a neutral third-party negotiator if there is any requirements as such. Uh, straining the definition of neutral there, but... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, of course, the president will thank you and take it under advisement, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so not to cut... It, it, you know, it was a good point. So not to cut your visit short, I mean, obviously, uh, Feon will show you, you know, sites in the city if you really want. Um... The president was just mostly concerned, uh, making sure that uh, he was able to make first contact in a respectful manner, so that like he wasn't trying to juggle you guys in the background. Yeah, I would um, be awkward. Yeah, that would be a little bit awkward. Um, so let's see, how much time do we have left? Uh, okay, I think we can get this in. Um, so after seeing the sights, the away team comes back to the Ophion. And uh, we'll say it's Alpha Shift. Um, you're all on the bridge, uh, you know, at your various stations. Uh, and uh, you're just kind of waiting to hear back from the Scorpio at this point. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where uh, there's not really a, a whole lot else for you to do. Um, simply because the data you've gotten from the Scorpi is already being looked at in science labs on the ship. Um, but that's not something you do on the bridge. So things are pretty quiet on the bridge at the moment. Any, um, Blockwood, I want to scan the planet to look for any signs of alien technology from the Iconians or ring world builders. Okay. Uh, if you could roll me a reason plus science assisted by the ship's sensors plus science. Difficulty is a four. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna spend a momentum here. Okay. I can roll for the ship. Okay. Well, well it's not I, like oh, you no, need to. I don't think I'm going to have to. <laughs> well, I might generate momentum. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. Yeah. We'll use it to blow up the Ferengi Marauder. <laughs> you scan it into oblivion. <laughs> All right, so you get well, you get your momentum back. Uh, so yeah, Locke, uh, you remember the uh, the Ringworld sort of uh, caretakers, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that you also saw in eight ML seven, where you picked up the star chart and the rifle. You're detecting that very, very deep within the planet, uh, near the core, there does appear to be such an installation. Uh, And there's no indication that the Scorpi are aware of it. Is it helping to... For my my free question for my science station thing, Mm -hmm. is it helping to regulate the dilithium to keep the core stable at all? It is indeed. Captain, um, Fascinating. Yeah, I believe that the Scorpio are not solely responsible for maintaining their planet and preventing it from, well, exploding. Oh, oh, um, how uh, so? I am detecting similar technology to what we saw on 8ML7 and on the uh, 
uh, X364, um, the ring worlds, uh, um, wow. kind of, which are hmm, entirely different symbols on our, our glyph map that seems to indicate that there is some sort of foreign technology in the planet, keeping it stable. I'm going to wander over and just look over your shoulder. So I, it's so it's relating to the dilithium. Some sort of magnetic or similar similar field? It's buried very deep. Um, my sensors barely detected it. It's very likely that the Scorpio had no idea it's there. Are we able to transport down there? Out of character, um, the answer is uh, you could, but given uh, the difficulties involved, uh, it would be a difficulty five task. Yeah. It's quite a lot of rock. I wouldn't recommend it, Captain. Um, I can't recommend that. I, would, I don't believe all the uh, away team would make it safely there. Yeah. Good thought. Um, well, just keep scanning. See if we can find a way down there. And preferably without the Ferengi finding out. The uh, SCO did mention that they have underground facilities. Uh, mm -hmm. Perhaps we could use them to uh, decrease the distance in uh, transporters. We could set up a, uh, with, the, with the SCO permission, of course, after informing them of this installation, uh, that we could, in we could install transporter um, pattern enhancers uh, to relay the signal. Uh, for study, of course. Also, Naturally. it would seem my suspicions that uh, the SLAW and the uh, SCO are um, connected via the uh, unknown race uh, that has developed uh, this uh, region of space. Mm. I'd very much like to keep the, the Scorpi out of it for the moment, especially with the Ferengi I do not want the Ferengi learning about this type of technology. Yeah. Speaking of which, have the Ferengi made any move to try and contact the Ophian directly, or are they just ignoring us? They are flat out ignoring you. Yep, yeah. good. We're not attacking them. We, ha we don't have anything to sell them. And Beckett has an exclusive deal with Quark, so he can't multi-vendor, so... Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. I'd imagine at some point or other, Mirthrud would come up with a report of, yeah, yeah, they're just sitting there doing nothing. Eh. Yeah, I do mm. find it very curious, though, that we come over to investigate this place that's been sort of sitting on our to-do list for a while, and then literally within a, two days of us making first contact with the species, a Ferengi ship beelines it for here. This is very disconcerting for me as well. Um, Lok, Shatsu, please, let's just do a sweep of the ship, make sure that there's no illicit transmissions or listening devices, tracking bugs, etc. Sure, we can We can do a nebulous roll for that. Um... Oh, actually, something Mirthrin's going to do. Mm -hmm. Or it could be an extended task, to... depending how you want to flavor it. Yeah, he's going to go back and work out, okay, when did we first figure out this planet had a ma had an absolutely massive dilithium deposit on it, mm -hmm. and then sort of work back from there and figure out when a Decon-class marauder would have arrived if it had started coming here at max speed as soon as it found that out, as soon as we found that out. 
If you want to roll me a reason plus engineering, uh, Mirthren. Yep. Difficulty I... two. Do and... we still have uh, Fayon's ship tractored, or did we let it go? I I, I assume, assume we let it go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what okay. about scanning that ship, too? Hmm. Would warp field dynamics count as a focus for this? I would say yes, because it would matter on the warp speed that they go at. Alright, so control plus engineering. Now, how much momentum do we have at the moment? Uh, you've got two. Alright, I'll spend one to get a third dice. Okay. Because I would really like to know if we've got a mole. Seems unlikely. We didn't. Um, they'd have to have been particularly close because right we didn't find out the lithium. Okay, so uh, Mirthren, your best reasoning uh, isn't that you've got a bug. Uh, you, again, best guess is that based on their arrival time compared to yours, what might have happened is that they saw a Federation ship beelining for this system, and they just happened to be in, well, what is relatively close by in a cosmic sense. Um, but they noticed this, and they directed their attention to the system, and hey, they saw dilithium on their sensors and decided we should hop on that immediately. Right, so, so I think uh, Mirthrin will sort of that, say that to the captain and goes, well, uh, good news and bad news. Good news, we probably don't have any Ferengi listening devices on board. Uh, bad news, this might kind of indirectly be our, uh, our fault, because based on the timing, it looks like what's got the Ferengi's attention was us coming straight into the system. Ah. Sort of, they okay. sort of, they sort of saw, aha, the Federation is interested in this place for some reason, there must be profit here. And we'll Even... make a note that before we move to our next destination, we'll take a more exploratory path. In the meantime, well, let's hope that the uh, Scorpy people's common sense is as good as our first inclination, our first intention indicates. Well, they seem like they've got a good set of head on their shoulders. Then uh, Mercenary sort of thinks for a bit trying to sort of mentally decide which pair of shoulders is more appropriate there. <laughs> Alright, so uh, there's a small time period where, again, nothing really interesting happens, but eventually uh, you do get a hail from the planet. It is the president. On screen? Alright, so uh, Ochness comes up on screen and he says uh, Captain Skull... Uh, President Ochness, and I will bow as others seem to have formally done in the past. Oh, well, thank you, Captain. I appreciate the gesture, but uh, you'll excuse me if I don't do the same. There's kind of a desk in my way. Uh, I'm calling to let you know that I am interested in having uh, the attaché you mentioned come down and perform uh, third-party negotiation uh, oversight. Uh, I took your comments, your away team's comments, on uh, the Frangi uh, under advisement, and uh, 
though I cannot say for certain that they were all correct. I do believe it would be in everyone's best interest if the Federation uh, was able to provide the uh, third party in this instance. Uh, that is very kind of you to ask, and we will be happy to accept. Um, are the Ferengi still present in your office? No, no, I sent them back hours ago. Very well. Um, my crew has come to a discovery about your planet, which may uh, influence your decision-making regarding your the futures of your dilithium st- stores. I'm just going to nod for Locke to transmit that information. Okay. So uh, he gets the information, kind of tilts his head and says, uh, you'll have to excuse me, I'm not the best at sciences. Uh, what am I looking at exactly? Uh, long, st- long story short, there is, within this uh, area of space, there is, we have come across several instances of advanced technology. Uh, for example, Xenixia's homeworld, uh, which I believe she ex- she uh, went on at great length about earlier. Um there, we've come across other installations as well. Um, so we're not sure of the function of this one at the center of your planet, but we suspect it somehow might be stabilizing or controlling all the energy being output by the dilithium. Um, my crew is attempting to find a way to access the structure without, uh, Im- without uh, impeding your society or tipping off the Ferengi. Um, so needless, needless to say, this might, until we're, until we know more about what this structure does, uh, it might, it might be advisable. We would like to advise that you don't go wholesaling your dilithium just yet. Of course, uh, I'll of course forward this to our scholars to see what we can come up with. Uh, thank you for keeping me in the loop, Captain. Of course, and I'll arrange uh, a, a small dipl- a small party to beam down to uh, assist in the negotiations. Thank you. Diplomacy 101. Don't try to be sneaky and go behind the other person's back while you're negotiating. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, unless you had anything else to say to the president, uh, you know, no. kind of comes to what a natural conclusion. His... Sorry. What color is his shell? Uh, his is a darkish gray. All right, then. Um, so yeah. It's called background gray. Yeah, kind of. Um, so yeah, you send down a diplomatic team, and at this point it becomes a question of... How do I want to say this? Not to stonewall you guys out of getting down there, because it is possible, it's just unlikely. Um, everything you're coming up with indicates that Unless you were to, say, have Jem'Hadar transporters or Borg transporters, you're not going to be able to get safely down into whatever this precursor installation is. So if you were willing to take the risk, you know, I'd let you roll for it, obviously. But as a GM, I'm more curious as to at what point, if any, you would kind of like cut your losses and move on. Could we prepare a wireless, like a probe that would, and transport the probe down that is somehow, that could at least attempt interfacing uh, wirelessly with what we can understand of their systems? Or at least something that would take a good 360 degrees camera um, to transport it back. 
I'd allow it, but I would still make the difficulty a four. I wonder um, if I'm interfacing with their systems, Captain. We do not want to accidentally shut the system down or trigger any kind of defense mechanism. Otherwise, boom. Very well. Pass, passive, passive sensors and uh, photography only, then. Uh, possible idea is the same thing that I did with the Argo shuttle. Um, I could set it up on the holodeck where we send down a drone of some sort and one of us control it on the holodeck where it's our action so we're able to scan and see everything in real time as the holodeck allows us to see what's going on down there. Oh, like a persona. <laughs> right. When you uh, mentioned okay. shuttle for a second there, I was worried you were suggesting Mirthra Mirth maneuvering this planet. <laughs> no. It's like that TNG episode where they uh, they relay the probe uh, into Jordy's visor. Yes, yeah, I remember yeah. that episode. Along those lines, yeah. All right. So uh, here's what I'll say, because we are getting towards the end of the session, but uh, I don't know what people's cutoff time is. Um. We'll go for probably another 10-15 minutes and we'll see where we're at. So uh, if you'd like to try to beam such a probe down, uh, where is it? Uh, transporters. Uh, don't care about power. Uh, this would be a control plus engineering uh, assisted by the ship's sensors plus engineering. Uh, the base difficulty would be a four. Uh, however, I would like to spend my threat, as little threat as I have for this adventure, uh, to increase the complication range to 16 to 20. Merthen making the roll for beaming? Hmm, that or Matic. Either of them could do uh, it. What, what are we beaming? Uh, I, I mean, yeah, either of us could do it. Merthrin yeah. or me or... Wow. So, like, what, what, what are we beaming with? Uh, beaming you are beaming a remote piloted uh, capable drone slash sensor pod uh, to the precursor installation. Alrighty. Uh, that'd probably be... Uh, will it be control rather than daring? Oh, no, it is control plus engineering. Okay. Uh... Hmm. Since it's the end of this, I mean, since it's the end of the session, I would say let's spend that point of determination. Yep. Yeah, you uh, just gotta have a value. Yeah, does particle would particle physics count here? Because I'm trying to beam through interference. Uh, it'd be a stretch. It? All right, no, uh, no focus then. Would quantum? If I were to do it, would quantum mechanics apply? I would say yes. Okay. Alrighty. So I guess. I could roll quantum mechanics, uh, value, understand technology better than people. Sure, I'll allow it. And then uh, we're assisted by the what? By the ship? Uh, sensors plus engineering from the ship. Okay, so I can re-roll a d20 as well. All right, well, you're set up to succeed. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and spend that last point of momentum. Okay. Who's rolling for the ship? I may as well do it. Alright. Once I bring the sheet up. Uh, everyone start praying. 
Let's go. Alrighty. There's three, four, five, so we succeeded? Question mark? So yeah. comms plus, uh, no, is it sensors? Uh, sensors plus engineering, yes. And nothing from the show. Uh, let me double check. Uh, that would be a complication. Reroll it, reroll it, reroll it, reroll it, reroll it. <laughs> uh, which one? Uh, uh, reroll the ships. The, the ships. Okay, I will spend a point of determination to roll nope, that. No, don't one. need to spend it. No, 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 I get it, I get it as a talent. I yeah. get it as okay. a talent. You do that then. Yeah. All right. Uh, all you have to do is not roll 16 to 20. <laughs> oh, forgot to put the focus Ooh. in. It's a 13. It's a 13. It's fine. Um, okay, so, so go ahead. Uh, quick question. Mm-hmm. Uh, my success roll less than was a, would, would have been 17. Mm-hmm. If I would have rolled a 16 or 17, would it still be a complication? Yep. Oh, okay. Um, good news. Uh, and this is probably where we're going to have to make this a two-parter, which is fine. I don't mind. Um, Kind of the bookend to this episode is, uh, Matic, you do your best to uh, sort of coax the transporters into working properly. Because, you know, transporters working on a Starship show, or a Star Trek show? What What is this? Um, but you, you, you whip them in line, and you transport the drone away. And uh, once it has finished materializing... Um, I would say Locke, maybe, or Panek, or really someone on the bridge would probably put it up on the view screen. And uh, all of you are afforded a view of uh, what seems to be a... sort of like a, a big ball of plasma being held in place by six sort of projecta or, or six projectors... Um, so there's this kind of big old ball of red matter and energy that, uh, you know, then has these projectors, which, well, project a field of energy, uh, around this sphere. And, uh, the drone, as it looks around, uh, is able to see a few consoles, but it is in a language that is unknown and isn't translating via the universal translator. Is it? map to the other languages we've seen it does indeed it is the same symbology can you bring Zenixia to the bridge please and bring Zenixia and Zuri spent the most time with this language alright so of course uh, Zenixia comes up on the bridge takes a look and says yeah that's that would be the precursors hmm are you able to make any any of the language out? Uh, if you could zoom in on quadrant 4B, please. And, of course, it does. Uh, if I understand what this says, something along the lines of uh, stabilization matrix? Okay. What are we able to get out of the ball of plasma red stuff in the middle there? Uh, if, uh, if Locke, if you want to roll me a reason plus science, sure. uh, this would just be a general science, though. This wouldn't be uh, assisted by the ship. So the difficulty here would be, I'm going to say a two. Um, yeah, none of my focuses seem remotely appropriate. 
Let's hope we get lucky. I do not. Yeah, you uh, either the probe just isn't sending back enough data, or you just don't have a clue what it is. Maybe both. It's, I'm guessing some sort of energy source, Captain, but there's just not enough to go on. Probe sensors just can't detect enough. Very well. Uh, accumulate all the data we're able to. Um, and Zenixia and Zarid, if you guys could please assist us in translating as much of it as we can. I'd like to go down with, to the... I'd like to present the president with as great... with as good a picture as we can. Understood. Uh, Captain, um... Yes? Just something I've, I've thought about. Um... Considering what we, the actions we've seen of this precursor civilization so far, uh, we can kind of generate a, an idea of what they are like. Uh, they took the um, the slaw from their home planets and placed them on an installation, and then provided the ability to generate the, the field, uh, the the a security field there. And considering that this installation is the only occurrence we see of this technology on this planet. It's safe to say this was not the precursor homeworld, but they still felt the need to stabilize the dilithium here. Uh, so they, they they tend to have a, you could infer a, a generous nature from this advanced civilization, almost a, a, a caregiver kind of thing. I would have used the term preserver attitude, Lieutenant Commander, but I believe we're of the same thought process. Um, these progenitors my hypothesis is that the progenitors detected or were attempting to save um, burgeoning life forms to let them evolve into more advanced versions of themselves I'm it's my hope that they were doing it out of the kindness of their of your own of their own heart or hearts I would not be surprised to find that they are also behind the anomalous communication nebulas within this area of space. Um, we have yet to find an adequate reason for their their um, their phenomenon, and they seem to to be abundant here. Agreed. Um, I can't remember um, if it was mentioned or not. Is there any link between? Is the technology between this planetary stabilization and the, and the others that we found. Is it related at all to the um, Pandora's Gate? Or is that a different technology altogether? That is a good question. Um, it has similarities. At least enough of a design philosophy that you could conceivably uh, guess that uh, yeah, whoever made the gate Probably was also responsible for uh, for the stabilization matrix of this planet. I have a hypothesis, Exo. Um, there, given what we know or what Madame Q showed us about the there being a massive war year you know, millennia ago, and um, this race deactivated and dumped the weapons in a nearby galaxy. Perhaps they took great pains to save what species they could that may have been affected by this war. It's an attitude that we've seen indicative of other war-torn, war-torn, war-torn races as they uh, 
become to realize the cost of their actions. They attempt to preserve what they have left. Hmm. Still, something for us to keep an eye open for as we continue our exploration of this expanse. That would actually explain the Akshis quite a bit. If, they, if their home planet was destroyed or weakened because of the war, they might feel guilty and have relocated them. What if, so perhaps the Sabine Expanse is the largest scale war rehabilitation effort we have seen to date? Right, the question still remains, Captain. Uh, what happened to these precursors, and where have they gone? Well, I only hope we find answers elsewhere. But for the time being, we have a civilization in front of us that needs our help. All right. Let's get what information we can, so we can assist in the assist the uh, people from selling their own rug out of their own out from under themselves. <laughs> All right, and uh, that is where we do have to end the session. Uh, but uh, so I got to end the stream. Uh, so players, stick around. Uh, but for anyone watching on YouTube or on Twitch right now, uh, thank you for watching, and I'll see you next week. Bye bye.